the Ursa's claws. Hello and welcome to episode 134 of the Age of Darkest podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud, and uh, if you want to get in touch, uh, send us an email at ageofdarkestpodcast at gmail.com. Darren, what do you have for us in the strategium? Um, it's something very different tonight, isn't it? So the strategium, we're not doing our usual Legion look or looking at Titanicus like we originally said we were going to do. So apologies if you're hanging around for that. What we're going to do is do a review of Adepticon. So many of uh, our listeners, so many fellow podcasters were involved in Adepticon that we wanted to get them back. Talk to them about how it went, what kind of things happened and what major events. And also the Adepticon meta, because, you know, people always like to hear about the meta, don't they? So We've got all our previous guests back on. They're going to be talking about the review. I get insanely jealous. That's it. That That's the strategy for this week. Excellent. Uh, after that, in Tales of Heresy, we will be doing part two of Titan Death and getting really excited about uh, Titanicus. Even more excited. I had a game of it yesterday as well, and it's Did rekindled. You? Yes. Let's start yes. with that. How, how, how okay. was it? Because I haven't played since probably uh, maybe like a year, a year and a half. Been a while. Well, interest, interesting enough, we sat down. I sat down with my gaming partner. So, Andy, I know you listen. This is where you we get to talk about my humiliating defeat. Oh no, um, Lucas we, did not. Yes, Lucas didn't do no. it. <laughs> it went really badly. So, um, we worked out it's the first time we've played since the Titan Walks event at Warhammer World, which was four weeks before the first lockdown in the UK. So, it has oh, wow. been officially three years since our Titans Walks. I so can't it was believe Titanicus has been out so long. It feels it still yeah. feels like it came out yesterday. Yeah. No, weird. And this was the first time we've managed to play with our custom legios. We both run custom legios. So this is the first time we've managed to play with the updated defensive riser legio rules. Just as the new campaign book has dropped and they've adjusted them. But there we go. That that's a different <laughs> Of course. Um, as long-term listeners know, I run a very Warhound heavy mana pool and I'd clearly upset them both having them in stasis for so long because I had more machine spirit rolls in that single game than I've had probably in all the other games that Titanic has put together. Oh, the no. machine spirits were clearly upset with everything I did. My my dice rolls were abysmal. My order rolls were abysmal. It just if it went wrong, it it did go wrong. <laughs> It was absolutely terrible. We only did a skirmish level game, so we did a 1250 point game. We used the new match playbook for the missions, which are so much better quality. They are so much fairer than the original Adeptus Titanicus missions for both sides. So I thoroughly recommend that book. We we built our armor list according to match play rules as well. So we had a stratagem hand we could pick from, um, use spend stratagem points on. It was so good. I it reminded me how good a game Titanicus actually is. So it scratched that itch after reading part one of Titan Death of I want to play more Titanicus. However, I'm hoping now that my Titans have been reawoken and they've come out of their, their warp transit, that the machine spirits have now been calmed down a little bit and we can get back on track and actually start start doing what they're supposed to be doing. But no, it was great to play a game again, even if Andy obliterated me completely. <laughs> Well, those are the best games, the ones that uh, that 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 you lose but still have fun. I know it's like, well, it's, yeah. obviously it's more fun to win, but 
what I mean is, is, is that means it was a good game. If you had fun and, yeah. and, and even in, in defeat. First time around the Die Wolf as well. First time around well, how the Die Wolf. Go? How is the it Die Wolf? It was interesting. Uh, completely fluffed the first shot. First shot hit, rolled a one on armor penetration, course, yeah, which obviously. those of you who play 18 knows that does absolutely nothing. But towards the kind of last couple of turns of the game, uh, at one point it got a hit onto an undamaged uh, Reaver. Uh, did one point of damage and then shut it down through the bipod, through the um, shock trait, which saved a Warhound that was out, out in the open because the Reaver hadn't yet activated for that turn, so couldn't then do anything. So I think the Die Wolf is very much a it is very much a support Titan. You can't rely on it. The, the weapon strength is too low for you to rely on it consistently doing something. But when it does have an effect, it has an effect larger than you would imagine. So I, I liked it. It was good. It certainly adds punch to a light manacle. Hmm, I like it. That sounds great. Yeah. I'm turning around on the model. I think it's just GW's photography. Often, like the warmonger. You know, I, I, yes. when I first saw it, I was like, eh. And, and then you see people actually um, posing it and, and taking uh, pictures of different angles. And you're like, oh, that's yeah. a really cool model. It, I don't know why I, they do I'm that. Seeing, yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing more and more good poses i think they've always make things particularly the resin models in a very neutral pose and it's not till you get in the hands of people who then build two or three of them and get to understand mm. the kit and they understand the stresses it can get what 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 kind of movement can you put things with so yeah it, it's it's not as nice a model as a warhound and the fact it's resin well, what is comes with a, a, a well yeah that's that's it isn't it and it's not as because it's a resin titan, it has additional challenges to put together compared to the plastic titans as well. But it's all right. I'm 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 pleased with mine. I'm happy how mine turned out. Let's move on to the strategium. Okay, here we go for the strategium section. Now, unlike previously when we're going through Legion rules and so on. We've just come out of the back of uh, a fairly big event going on in the uh, States with Adepticon, and we've got two of our previous guests back, Alex and Zach, to talk about how the event went. So we've had the preview for the event. Now we've got the follow-up for us. So hi, guys. How are you both? Oh, pretty well. all right. Zach, Alex, can you remind our listeners what events you were running at Adepticon? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'll go first because uh, mine wasn't nearly as uh, important um, or nearly as much of a work-intensive weekend, I guess we'll call it. Uh, I did Beta Garmin, which was in the evening, and uh, most of us were at, at minimum half cut. Two of us were already way out into the wind. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I ran the uh, the Feta Beta Garmin to kind of tie up the push for Beta Garmin that I had been running all year. Yeah, and then I had uh, I ran attrition on Thursday morning, uh, so nine a.m. to I think about five is what what we ran, um, and then I did tag teams, which is the the doubles event. Did that on uh, Friday, nine a.m. to right around there five or six, and then uh, Saturday Saturday morning was grudge match which uh, was just kind of a free form thing that started up at 10 a.m. and just kind of got over whenever it was really bizarre. <laughs> so, cause it, it's, it was, 
I really love Grudge Match. A lot of people that, that come to it also do because it's there. There's very little structure. It's just here's some missions. You can use them if you want. You don't have to. Uh, you know, whatever kind of game you want to play. It's it's kind of like a semi-organized pickup game situation. So um, it, it's worked out really well. Uh, there we ended up having a few people that were just did singles games. Um, there were, uh, there was a, a doubles event or game that, that ran, um, there was a, uh, three on three. And then there was another group of people that came in there, like that actually asked if, um, they, they could finish out their, uh, their campaigns. They were doing like the, the stuff from the Tempest, uh, book and they just wanted to finish out their campaign so they just had like this big 15,000 points on 6,000 points uh game but 6,000 points could like regenerate and come back on you know come back on the on the table afterward but yeah it was just all it was it's just really whatever people wanted to play if they wanted to get multiple games in they could the the team's people they just want to play that their entire time there so it's just that that's what it was Cool. I mean, can I ask about numbers? Because you kind of already just touched on that slowly. So Adepticon always has, from an outsider's point of view, Adepticon always has this interesting um, scramble for tickets. And I know every year JP always says, don't panic, you can turn up on a day and get a game because there's always dropouts. How oh, were you finding your numbers at the events? Um, we, as far as like actual, uh, purchased tickets, we had 205 unique individuals. Um, so, and that's spread across the, the like 11 events that we had that weekend. So, um, I know like tag teams had 100 people, like we had 50, uh, 50 teams, um, going. So that was, that was good. Uh, and then attrition was scheduled. We we sold, I think, 48 tickets. And there were some people that didn't show up. There were some people that came in that were like, I couldn't get a ticket or I wasn't sure if I'd be able to get in. I'm still here. Can I play? And we brought them in. So I'm still going to go with that like 48 people because I'm not positive off the top of my head exactly uh, how it broke out um, with no-shows versus other uh no shows versus people that kind of just showed up on the whim. Yeah. Uh, we were, we had 54 tickets purchased, I think. And I want to say we had like 39 people make it to beta Garmin. Um, so yeah, there, there were, there would have been room. Brilliant. Uh, JP, what about yourself? What did, what did you get involved in? I was going to, thought you were going to ask me how many tickets I sold. I did participate on the Beta Garmin. We need to talk about that in a minute because uh, this was a momentous occasion in my life and uh, and, and and I think for the world because uh, for the first time in like seven years, Zach and I faced off. Um, yes. And you almost, you you tried to get out of it. You tried to get out of it. I saw you because you knew. There, there was some, <laughs> there, there was, uh, there was some jockeying around for uh, where the tables were going to go and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah, I tried to get out. I didn't want to get out of it. I just needed I needed like a quick refresher. So this is which is weird, even though I'm running everything. That was my first actual game of uh 2.0. So oh really? Oh, that's right. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, that was my that was the first one I played to Scandis. So I think we were uh, evenly matched. Um, thankfully, yeah. we had Sean yeah, so uh, next like... to us to, to tell us how the rules worked. Oh, yeah, I had I a big Ross, shout out to Sean. Uh, uh, I used to, to do the uh, um, Season Initiative podcast. Great, great guy who knows the rules. You yeah. need some. And I had I had Jack, who's uh, one of the one of the hosts of um, the Heresy Accountability Buddies podcast. So. But we'll He's get back to when we talk me. about Beta Garmin. We we we'll get back to the game, uh, or or <laughs> what we played of the game. Um, but yes. uh, uh, so I was doing that. Um, uh, I was uh, I helped uh, uh, Zach build a ring. We'll talk about that later. Uh, and that's yep. and uh, I uh, yeah I just uh I was pretty much just uh, hanging out, which I think is and again I feel like I didn't have a spare a spare second. That's your first Adepticon. You take events every day. When you do more Adepticons, you realize like you don't have time for events every day. No, do one or two, and and because there's just so much going on, um, managed to go down to the vendor hall a little bit, chatted with the guys that made uh, don't look back, uh, uh bought more don't look back, um, and and yeah, so uh, what a surprise, I, and, and try yeah. to, and also in all seriousness, try to assist a little bit where I could. What like, do you mean? Well, I, I covered Zach for like when you guys went downstairs to the vendor hall for like an hour. Oh, I thought you meant assist uh, Black Sight Studios. Oh no, they don't. They oh. didn't want me there. <laughs> I was ushered. I, pop, I was quickly ushered away after my, my my purchase. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. They were fucking really rad guys. Uh, Thanks so for the money, I, beat it. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they, they they were super nice. But it's it, it's also it's good to remember that like you know this indie games. I mean, it's not it's not it's not like Games Workshop, right? It's it's um uh, these are this is a small business. It's fun to to uh to support a small business. But yeah, um, so yeah, tried to help out where I could and 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 just hung around uh and and. Played a few games, honestly, so I'm pretty happy. But again, I'm not the reason. I'm I, I'm not the reason we're having this segment. No, we didn't well, we didn't program probably. this to talk about my <laughs> my my Adepticon experience. We need to talk about the events and and um, what happened and uh, what do we uh, what can we learn from it, especially for people that couldn't make it to Adepticon and maybe like Darren. Adepticon is it's a it's a terrible time of year, especially if you're on an academic calendar, you're not in North America. People that can't like what what lessons were learned and and perhaps um, what could be ported over to uh, uh, to um, an event somewhere else in the world. Yeah, because from the outside looking at all the photos that were being shared on various different groups and messengers and stuff, it looked absolutely amazing. So, did it match the hype of the photos? Is basically what I'm most interested in at the moment. Um, well, I I had kind of an after after event. Uh, survey that went out um for everybody and the, to a man of everyone that responded they're all everyone said that they're coming back so um i and i've had more than any other year i've had a lot of people uh volunteer saying hey they'd like to they'd like to help out next year even if it's um just even being a ringer you know it for that kind of additional help which for real, it is a huge help for for an event organizer. If you need uh, even teams, if you're willing to come in and just like, hey, you know, what? I'll just I'll come out, I'll answer questions, or if you need a person to play, I'll just play. That is a amazing uh, bit of help that that every EO uh, would love to have. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, but to a man, every every person that came. Um, from what they said, had had an absolute blast. There were a couple of little things here or there that um, 
were not not like a concern, um, but with with a new with a new system with a plenty of new people. Um, because every before every event, I'd like have people raise their hand, like, "Hey, who's who's first Adepticon is this? Who's first event in um, Horse Heresy 2.0 is this?" And it, it was probably a good one third to, or probably about a third of the people there that was their first time being at uh, Adepticon Horse Heresy. So. Um, Getting the idea that that it's not a campaign-minded uh, event, that it, it's all narrative or more story-driven and more about um, uh, traitors and loyalists more than your individual score, I guess is the best way to uh, describe it. That that takes a minute to for people to get the hang of because it's a different concept from any other game that you go that you come over from. So a lot of people had come did come over from um from 40k and one person even said that he came over from competitive 40k and that from seeing this and how we ran it and how uh things are scored and like just the general um atmosphere of the events that they literally said this this is how they feel gaming should be where it, they don't have to worry about their scores they don't have any stress they just come in roll dice have fun you know talk painting or or talk like army builds or what this does whatever that does and it's they they absolutely loved it far more than any anything else they did before so we've uh we've managed to successfully um pull some some new people over to the to the cause that's great news because we, we, we've mentioned before, haven't we, how we wondered how the new plastic edition effectively would impact on new players coming in. And so it seems yeah. to have had quite a positive impact from that, from what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. And Grant, we had a we had a couple we had a couple people come in with some some tougher than uh usual lists. Um I can think of one particular group that came in uh for teams. They had a, you know, because they're they're fifteen hundred points per individual, so three thousand per per side. Um, but they had they came with one half uh, armored breakthrough, and the other half uh, knights, where they had like four armagers and a uh, porphyrin, and that that was a tough list. <laughs> it was a really tough list to deal with. Well, it's not. It's um, no. Yeah, it's no uh, warhound titan on a scholarship landing pad. Pretty no, tough. No. No. Pretty close. Right, so then, right, but, but, <laughs> but also because it's a narrative thing, we can kind of call call an audible, and we put placed them against another um, army that that brought uh, armagers and a knight. Granted, it was a knight lancer, but you know it's it, it's still a little more uneven footing for them. But even like the the people that played them that first game said it wasn't a problem. Like the yeah, the armager or the uh, the the Profiron was was difficult to deal with but the rest of the game was you know wasn't it wasn't that big of a deal so they yeah. they still had fun they still dealt with it well but because there were enough other people that were kind of concerned about it we just like you know what that knights still have a stigma from first edition that will move them over and and that'll be it so but then we had another person that came over from in uh in grudge match 
and that's all that's all he bought were brought were knights and armagers and he had creating grudges nice yeah and i mean he even he even went on the on the uh facebook group and said hey this is what i'm bringing is that okay and there were other people who were like I- i'd be happy to play you and he already had his event his his matches um yeah his dance uh, lined up like a week in advance so he knew he was playing already so it worked out well I think that says a lot where you're where you can name specifically three or four types of army, I mean well, specific army lists there as opposed to saying, yeah, there was a general smattering of yeah. strong lists, shall we say that. Alex, what about in your event? How what were the army lists like in your event? Uh well in my event it was fucking deuces are wild, so bring whatever you want. Uh, a lot of lists didn't even have like coherency or wouldn't be quote unquote legal. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, and and it was all just kind of, it was similar to LVO, like in, okay, if you're loyalist, you're defending the planet. So you get to choose primary objectives from this set, um, and secondary objectives from this set. Uh, if you're a trader, then, you know, you're attacking the planet. So you can choose primary objectives from this set and secondaries from this set. Right. Um, and then if you were on a big, if you were on a bigger table, you kind of had a, you know, a supplementary set of missions, primary objectives that you could choose from. Um, so it was, it was somewhat balanced, but not terribly so. Um, but, you know, we had some cool tables, like we had a big U-shaped table and we had like a, a big L-shaped table. And then, um, you know, we had a, we had a three by three that was just playing like a long, uh, just a long table like a double long table. Um, and then we had a few people that were playing individual games against each other and uh, just, yeah, having fun. It was fast and loose. Uh, the two drunkest guys won four out of five medals, um, which was for, uh, well, they both won respective, like favored loyalist and favored trader, but they got like really into their armies and sort of role play in their character on the tabletop. And yeah, I wasn't on that table, but that was awesome. Yeah, they were having a blast. And then uh, I gave away a couple medals for like, quote unquote, achievements. So one was, you know, highest number of characters killed in a challenge by one character. Uh, and the World Eaters player who won favored uh, traitor, or favorite of Horus, uh, killed seven characters with his warlord um, before someone finally stopped him. And, uh, and then I had longest sniper shot and the... Um, favored of the emperor uh actually had three character kills at 72 inches and two more character kills at 70 inches with his vigilator um so he just had like a master sniper and a bell tower just slamming out on the (laughs) u-shaped table um so the both of both of them won uh won two medals and they were and they were also uh you know the two drunkest guys in the room I think, which I don't know, maybe maybe there's a positive correlation between alcohol consumption and what you can get out of heresy, um, what you can get for yourself out of heresy, I guess, or out of your game. Um, but yeah, it wasn't. What's too tough. the record I, I now, actually, out of curiosity, for longest uh, longest kill? Seventy two inches. That's still the record. That's the record now. Yeah, it, it was like it was fifty something at uh, Eastman Five with a photon thruster. And then um, it went up to 63 inches, I think, at LVO. And now it's up to 72, which I think is probably the longest you can get. Because it has to be with a weapon with strength 7 or lower. 
So yeah, I, I think that's about as far as you're going to get. I don't know what the um of Vindicare Assassin's yeah. Rifles. They they may have a slightly longer one, but oh, I don't know. That's something to look up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. If the Vindicare can do it, then that'd be the only way you can make it happen. I think would be get a Vindicare out and snipe a guy like 106 inches or something or whatever the range is on his gun. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. Like didn't have any, didn't have any complaints, uh, from mismatches on beta Garmin. I got kind of gamed against in my first doubles, but it was a, it was a really, really strong pairing, uh, of night Lords with terror assault and a ton of rotor cannons. And, um, emperor's children with like the echo location upgrade and third company elite so it was just like pinning and like mad deflagrate like everywhere um like really strong pairing uh if you were looking for like a tournament list i think that would be a strong contender for it i i was about to ask was do you guys happen to know is that a is that a net list by chance i don't know there there were a lot of night lords paired with although there were a lot of emperor's children just shit mm-hmm. off right off the bat yeah but there were also a lot of night lords too and i remember i think there was more than one team that um that was paired up that way so i wasn't sure if that was it, a... it did feel net listy like you know he had he had a 10-man sun killer team with las cannons and he had a masters of signal and uh like you know um i think one maybe two basic bitch squads of uh bolter dudes Okay. Um, and uh, and then there was a couple contemptors from the Night Lords player, but they weren't. You know, I wouldn't consider those to be like OP or anything. He wasn't like stomping a bunch of them across the field or anything. Like, you know, I think I think one had a Laz cannon and like a fist maybe, and then the other one I think maybe had double plasma cannons or something. Like, it, it was oh, okay. fun. Um, but uh, you know, I really felt the the sting of of interceptor on that one because my army Mm -hmm. was deep striking so like i deep struck you know like a a unit of deliverers and a unit of uh tartarus terminators and i think i had like seven terminators left after deep strike oh yeah Um, okay and that was that was going to be a question i was going to ask actually is how did kind of reactions affect the game because obviously there's still lots of discussion around interceptor Mm -hmm. and other types of reactions and possible unbalancing of the game so how did you guys find that across the weekend uh interceptor is still i think i I hesitate to use the word broken but i don't know what other word to use for it because you can argue that like oh yeah but you can charge at a deep strike well yeah you can but you're gonna get interceptor then you're gonna get shot and you know if you if you decide to shoot at them if not you can't use your your gun um so you're paying points for something you can't really use uh and then if you charge them you're going to get overwatched so i mean yeah you can charge at a deep strike but you're going to be at minimum 50 percent unit strength by the time you even get there right so you're going to be outnumbered almost every time that you get in um if you've been subject to interceptor so yeah i i i don't know um but again there's a lot of deflagrate I rolled bad, which didn't help. <laughs> like that's part for the course for me. Um, at this point, I'm convinced if you have like a if you put a lot of work into your army, then you won't roll good. 
<laughs> you you can look good or you can perform well. Those are your options. Um, <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, it 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 was kind of a, a tough game. I think I think a bit of the attitude out of the the other players kind of drove into it. But pretty and I finished it, and we were just like, so fucking drinks, yeah, drinks. Uh, and then our next game was awesome. Like no complaints there. Uh, we played against the Iterators podcast actually on our second game and. Uh, I had a, just a real vendetta for the Night Lords after my first game. So I just like hunted Josh down all across the field. Um, I had no mercy for Night Lords on that one. Uh, <laughs> but Zach, how did you find it in your events that you ran? Um, I, I think everything was fairly well balanced. Kind of just like what Alex said, like Interceptor, I heard was a, a major factor, but it was only a factor for those armies that relied on deep strike um or or had you know, coming in from reserves where that that was going to be a, a that's what was going to trigger it um because you know de- coming in from deep strike you have a lot of advantages of kind of uh getting far onto the table and be able to do a lot of cool things but you you do you have to weather that storm initially so it's it's high risk, high reward kind of kind of gaming. So that was the only thing I had actually heard of from the from talking to the different players that that was a was a major factor of the game, and it wasn't anything that um, anyone had any like majorly uh, negative thoughts about because they they kind of knew what what the risks were going in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, and I think. From out my point of view, and I actually listened to a few other event feedbacks, not outside of Adepticon, that seems to be more balancing out now for whole reactions. I think when it we first got the rules set, there was a lot of discussion about is it too powerful? Are reactions unbalancing the game, etc. And I think what we're seeing now is it it is evening and out. I think there is a, still a bit of discussion around intercepts of certain armies, but I think overall it, it's more balanced than it first appeared eight months ago, nine months yeah. ago. I don't know. It's it's an interesting dichotomy because the one thing that I did notice was that aircraft were almost non-existent in the lists. Like I could probably yeah. count on one hand the number of aircraft that I saw the entire weekend. Um, and that's that's a direct result of the Zyphon CAP. Yeah, that was, right. that so was my is, is it actually balanced or is it just that it's becoming so detrimental that people are avoiding those type of tactics or those type of gameplay or those type of armies that now it seems like it's balancing out because it's starting to even out a little bit but you've got people that aren't playing necessarily to the style or the theme that they typically would right because it's like oh well i don't want to spend all this time painting up 20 assault marines if the minute i put them down i got to pull 13 of them off it it sort of like the armored ceramite paradox, isn't it? So yeah. everyone puts up armored ceramite ceramite on because of melter. So people stop taking melter. So then people stop taking armored ceramite, and then people start buying melter again. So are we not seeing flyers because of xiphons? And then people just go, well, I'm not going to bother buying a xiphon then because no one ever brings a flyer. And then everyone goes, oh, I don't see xiphons anymore, so I'm going to start bringing my flyers again. So it's it's yeah, that weird. I- I don't know because I've been bringing mine. I've been bringing mine and even not running into Xiphons. The amount of interceptor that pours out at your flyer still kind of negates it. Yeah. It's just kind of like, ah, all right. 
my you know my 500 point unit in my storm eagle is not going to make it because it's going to like crash and burn and suffer like you know strength 8 ap2 on everything that's inside so i i don't know and maybe that's just a personal gripe because i love aircraft and i was always like a heavy aircraft player um which you know and those never swung the game like aircraft was never crazy powerful except for maybe the lightning which i have my own gripes with because i didn't play that as crack and penetrators now that's the only thing i can buy on it (laughs) i used to use it like a bomber instead yeah but um what about the um balance between loyalists and traitor victories I was pretty drunk at the end of Beta Garmin and forgot to tally that part. Um, yeah, well, okay, maybe uh, it, it, it's worth mentioning real quick why um, Beta Garmin uh, kind of we 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 couldn't finish the game. Yeah, that's that's true. That's a good point. So they they came in uh, to tell us kind of around like eleven fifteen, like, hey, you guys know that this place has to be like fully cleaned out by midnight, right? Because we're locking the doors and. Uh, hotel staff is coming in to take the tables down at 6 a.m. And it was like, oh, okay, well, we thought we had it till like 1230. So um, so I, I did have to knock like at least 30 minutes off of Beta Garmin and I was kind of trying to panic and get everybody rounded up and do prizes. So that way we yeah, can tear. I think, well, I think it's a, that's a mix of two different days. So like with yours, they wanted to close the, close it up at midnight. Yep. Um, but that, but your event was on Friday night. Saturday yeah, right. night was when they came in to tell us that they wanted to. They no, my event was Saturday. Uh, oh, my it was Friday. Was Friday was yeah. Yeah, it was Friday. Yeah, but yeah, they what did. The they did come in and tell us that we had about? to get out at midnight, which is something which is, happened. Why I had to cut it thirty minutes short. What was yeah, it? yeah, because they still yeah. they still wanted everyone out to to close oh, the doors okay. because okay. golden demons right outside our door. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, again, I was. I mean, I was half cut when Beta Carmen started. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, yeah. Uh, anyways, yeah. Um, but Zach, maybe I, I maybe you track loyalist and trader wins. Yeah, so um, I actually made a uh, made a map off of. If, I don't know if you guys are aware, there's a website called. Um, well, I have to find it here real quick. Uh, Incarnate. So it's mostly like for D and D campaigns, but you can actually design a city and you can put different buildings on and everything else and and label them and everything else. So I made that, um, made a city and then and had all the labeling for it. So there were actual zones that people could fight over. So it was kind of like a map-based campaign. Um, I didn't care about individual scores. It was just win or loss for for traders and versus loyalists. So um, and this was this was both tag teams and attrition. Oh, this is um, sick. so attrition, the first two rounds pretty much dead even i think we had 11 wins for for loyalists 10 wins for traders and we had five uh draws which was wild um second round it it just there weren't as many draws but it was still split exactly even between uh uh traders and loyalists and then for the third round i said okay because you're we're only playing for this one particular zone um, so I want to know the actual points because this is where it's actually going to matter. And suddenly instead of having, having it dead, even it just went overwhelmingly traitor, which was, which was wild. And it wasn't even like people would still tell me what their, what their actual individual scores were per, for, uh, um, 
further matches ahead of time. It'd be like three points to four points, you know, six to seven. It was, you know, just really close. And then that last round, it became 19 to nothing, 11 to one. It was, and it was wild seeing, seeing that like when points actually mattered, then like the kid gloves came off and they actually played for the points. So um, when I did tag teams, I, I completely avoided using points again and just went straight win loss. And uh, it was, um, it was still close to even, but um, in, uh, in tag teams, uh, it ended up being uh, loyalists winning out by, I think just two, two wins over, over the traders. So still close. So overall, it was just there. I re- really balanced him from what you're saying. That, that's. Yeah. Well, I, which so is what I you want, isn't it? Yeah. And I'm not sure if it was, I kind of want to think that it, ju- just judging by how it's, sw- how much of a swing it was when I actually included points, it makes me feel that naturally, if, if you just tell people, Hey, the points don't matter. Just, just, you're just playing to win or whatever. They'll, they'll go easy. And like, if, if I, they just need to get one point then that to win, then they'll just get the one point. But when, when you actually say, okay, here's where it's going to actually matter. Then, then they went, then they went for blood and that, that changed things. So I think depending on what your winning conditions are, that actually may affect how your attendees approach the missions and how they actually, how they actually play. So. That's an interesting. It's, it's completely. Uh, it's it's not scientific, but that's just my observation over the weekend from two different. No, but it'd be, it'd be a really interesting thing to track through over different events and also in different areas. So we we could be talking to the Varangian guys and seeing what it's like in Scandinavia and what it's like here in the UK. It'd be really interesting to track how that does affect event outcomes. Because yeah. the reason I ask, because over here in the UK, we've had a number of events so far this year, and they've nearly from what I've seen been overwhelmingly loyalist victories mm. so it's just, it was interesting seeing how that pan out with you guys over in the states yeah well I mean like in at LVO like traders had a, a big lead to begin with but then the loyalists kind of came back and then it it they, the traders closed the gap a little bit on day three but the loyalists still had it but it mm. wasn't like a massive loyalist victory at LVO like they weren't just getting smashed every day Right, I'm going to do do a real teachery thing now. So I want top three things and three things you want to work on for next year. As an event organizer, as a participant, or just Let, just well, as a person with yeah, what yeah, do you like, want to work yeah, on for yourself? Person, like yeah, how do I want to improve as an individual? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I need to learn to take criticism. <laughs> no. no, I don't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I guess if you could just clarify a bit. Let's, let's go from event organizer, because that's really what we invited you guys on for a podcast to just talk about then, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so it could be top three things from games that were reported back to you or game organization, something like, anything really. The main three things from the the top three things from the event that I, I can see is from my uh, my opinion or my my viewpoint um is that i think we've hit the right mix of events 
um, because we have we have a little bit of uh, something for everyone because we have Zone Mortalis, we have the um, the deeper narratives where uh, there are individual or like each table will have like a couple different things going on. So to get kind of a, a deeper uh, narrative feel for what's for what's going on. Um, but then we also have like the 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 games where it's the game type that that is is the main draw as opposed to the individual like smaller crunchier rules, if that makes sense. Um, so I think like that's my main takeaway is that I think we've finally got like the, the right mix of what everyone wants. Um, and that's also based off of the, the survey that I had mentioned before, like, you know, what did you play and what did you like? Um, and that was kind of the, the main thing next year. I think, I think we want to have a couple of events that are lower points. Um, I know Zone Mortalis, which it's, that's Lucas's thing. Um, one of the things that we we got back from was like they wish that Zone Mortalis used less points, um, just because it's a lot easier for people to travel with and it's it's a a, a quicker game for them. F- on the flip side, for like my events, which happened in tag team, we had one team that had to uh, that had to check out for the second round, um, and it just took us a little longer to pivot uh, to get everything straightened out for that. It, we got we had another team that wanted to play. So we it evened out, but it just took us a minute to get, uh, to get that straightened out. So I want to, I want to make sure I have a plan for any eventuality when it, uh, when it comes, that's just my urge to be prepared. So, um, but that's really, I can't think of any, uh, like a third, a third thing. Um, well, Darren's going to uh, talk you maybe, points. You know what? I I do have something for tag teams. I want to I want to be able to have the entire day for it, as opposed to having like with tag teams. I had uh, Beta Beta Garmin immediately after, and people wanted to play longer rounds and have get that third round in because they'd like it. Tag team events are so popular that they want to get all their time in with their with their buddies. So that's that's the other thing. I'm gonna try and make sure that's scheduled so there's nothing on the back side of it. And that can just be the day. So that's my, that's my thought. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Alex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I garnered anything different uh, from my lessons at Elvio, you know, which, which again, we're building on lessons from the year previous, like, you know, make things a little bit more simpler. I stuck to the empowering uh, category, which, um, or methodology, I suppose, which seems to me to like really, really resonate. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang on to that. I'm gonna keep doing that for missions moving forward. So I'm excited to see what new like primary objectives we get in this campaign book that's coming out. Oh, you want to just so elaborate on that book? Uh, you want to just elaborate on what you mean by empowerment? Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, in in the example of when I was looking at LVO is like, I want people to be able to get as much or as little out of this as they want. 
So it's a little bit more about choice. So instead of me telling you like, you know, here's your mission, you're doing this and it's the same thing that everybody else on the table is doing. So, and everyone else is going to know it. Um, instead it's okay. Uh, you know, if you're on a supporting table, then you're trying to defend. So here's three primary objectives from the book or from GW official, uh, that would provide you with a primary objective that would be reminiscent of something you were doing if you were defending a planet or an installation or whatever, right? And then on the secondary objectives, yeah, you get to choose from the book ones, but also here's a whole suite of faction-specific ones that I've made that you can choose from if you want to, but you don't have to, right? So it's not like, okay, cool, like in you know mission two, make sure you get Slay the Warlord and... Also, your other secondary is from this list of shit that I made up. Um, so it's a it's a little bit more of you can divert or do as little or as much as you want. And it, it allows for facilitation of things like at Beta Garmin, you had the guys who ended up really role playing their stuff. It sucked a couple other people into it. So you had guys like up on tables, like having drinking contests against each other to settle their duel or um you know, in at LVO, we had a guy who had set up one table, which was like a satellite installation. He's like, cool, like, you know, how do you want to frame this in our minds? And they created a whole story about what exactly what was happening on there. And all of that was possible, I think, because they had the option to choose. So when you have the option for more choice, you have you facilitated for more creativity. Um if an individual wants it, but conversely, you haven't forced someone into something that they maybe might feel uncomfortable with because maybe they haven't been, you know, they, if, if they show up and all the missions are custom made, which I don't think any of them really were, but um, you know, and it's like, Oh, well, I don't feel like this is balanced. So they, without even playing it, they've already got like a, a predetermined opinion of that event or that, uh, mission or whatever, which then affects their mentality. It affects their demeanor, which then has kind of a snowballing effect. Um, so while we experimented with it a little bit at LVO, I think doing it at Beta Garmin made it a little bit refined it a little bit more and people started to get a little more adjusted to it. And Beta Garmin, I think, was a more relaxed atmosphere, which maybe made it a little bit easier. But now we'll have people talking about it and getting out in the world. So when it rolls around to next events that I run, it won't seem like such a jarring thing um, to be like, wait, so I get to choose? You're not just going to tell me what to do? And it's like, yeah, like, you know, what what would your warlord do? What would your army do? Like, if, you know, that way you don't end up in a scenario like gate 42 where it's like oh well we're infiltration specialists but now we have to run like a full-scale siege <laughs> like um that's not really our thing like why would you send us to do that um so yeah i, I don't know if that ramble made any sense but hopefully no it absolutely did and it reminds me like what did um and i i appreciate uh that approach uh, there's definitely um room for both a very structured approach which I, mm -hmm. I really really like, uh, and and Zach, you do a fantastic job at, at 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 keeping things structured so that things keep moving, and and there's also a place for a little bit um, a, a less structured um, approach, which I always appreciated because you asked us like, what, what what did I want from the games? Like, I want to face Zach for the first time in like seven years because he keeps yeah. dodging me. Oh, is that how it is now? <laughs> okay. So yeah, I finally got to face you. And, and really, what did I want from this game? I, I wanted I wanted to kill Captain America. Your captain, your ultra captain Captain America. Yep. Yes. And uh, we yeah. need 
we need to hear about this game. Come on, guys. This has been a big build-up from a podcast for the last couple yeah. of years with you two always dodging each other. So well, here's on, the th- here's Tell the us thing. the lay-down. I-, I laid out a brilliant trap for the Ultramarines by charging straight at them with my with the bulk of my army and my warlord. And and then don't um, never suspect the, the charge across the open minefield. <laughs> yeah, never saw it coming. And, and then uh, so uh, got into a giant melee, like right on the edge of the table um, against. Uh, yeah. So I had um, uh, my my worst with Creos and his bodyguard of two Castlax, which, as everybody that 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 that, that that's playing Castlax in the edition knows, they are not very good anymore. So I had that uh, uh, flanking a giant unit of suzerain. I think there was like. How, how big was the, the primary unit of Suzerain 20? The, the one in the Spartan. Ten. It was 10, okay. Just 10. So uh, I blew, uh, we, uh, um, we blew up their Spartan, Suzerain pile out, and I'm like, all right, I got this. So my tyrants uh, are, are going on one side straight ahead towards the Suzerain, and then my 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 warsmith and, and his bodyguard are kind of like flanking them, and I'm thinking, brilliant trap. Uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're, you're gonna taste some iron fists. And you uh, have heard us talk about suzerain on the podcast. You have been here when we've had discussions about how filthy those things are. I'm just saying that it was a great trap, and that's that's that, that, that was the game. It was a brilliant maneuver, frankly. And and, and I, I, I thank uh, Zach for uh, uh, for uh, it was a good game. Walking that's exactly the what the Persians that, that's exactly what the Persians said at Thermopylae as well. They'll never it know. That, it's it's <laughs> funny you mention that. <laughs> because because when I when I built the my suzerain bodyguard, because they're they are kit bashed. This is before suzerain came out. Like you're the like you immediately oh, kit bashed yeah. them. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was what I was doing. Um yeah, so I have uh I went on and where did I, I think I got a, got the shields from Cyborg Miniatures. And anyway, I can't, can't bash these guys together. So I have, and I was watching 300 at the time. So they all have round Spartan shields. They all carry spears instead of instead of axes. So yeah, it's it's funny that you should mention that because we're also right there on the the table edge, and there was a really bottlenecked spot there. Natural choke point. Much the hot gates. Yes. Yeah. It was very much thermoply or thermopoly. So yeah, yeah, the suzerain that were um well my my castle my worst were kind of like Kool-Aid manning through a building <laughs> to try to get yes. behind him. Um, which again succeeded. So I had the, the suzerain between my 10 tyrant terminators who were making every single save. Like they were uh, the uh, it was the, ridiculous. Uh, iron was cometh thing strength. And and the very few that that Wounds that did get through, you were saving with your apothecary. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah Primus Medicaid. So, yeah, uh, so I had full strength. They were like throwing because um, this was a this was a ten thousand point game um, that we wound yeah. up like really kind of like Zach and I kind of focused on our grudge, uh, um, <laughs> uh, which was I think the important thing. This was the grudge match, um, yes. and, and so uh, um, I got my my ten tyrant time. I think there was nine left after like weathering. I don't know how much fire. So I was like rolling like a king for the saves. Um, yeah. Like a champ. Uh, and so, uh, and then uh, my warsmith and his unit were Kool Aid manning through Kool Aid manning through a, through a building. And I got behind. So I got to charge in. And, 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 and it was pretty. Was it uh, my siege breaker was dueling with, uh, he was in a. Um, yeah. He was, he was in the duel with, with Captain America. Captain America. Yeah. Yeah. 
Oh, by the way, uh, the round shield thing is very important. And, and the reason I call him Captain America is because you literally converted your Ultramarines crater into Captain America. I think everybody's seen your army by now. So I I think so. I, I think if you for the longest time, if you Googled Space Marine Captain America, mine was the first yeah. image that popped up. It's classic. Um, it is. It is. Well, Grant, I've I've made one for every edition since like third edition 40K. So I've always, my Ultramarines have always been uh, uh, led by a Captain America for, for so you can do like that a all decade day. now. I can do that all day. Um, so it's doing like, so, so, uh, the so, Siege Breakers survived the first round. Yeah. Yeah. They And and I think I lost, I think I, I lost like one Suzerain during that time. And you were slowly whittling them down much faster than I could get rid of your, uh, your Siege Breakers. The problem was you were so focused on getting into combat with them with your with your your warlord and everyone else that you failed to realize immediately behind my spartan was another 10 man suzerain squad and and telemachus yeah They're right out the open and I, I, right I got tunnel like, vision. My warsmith is 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 slowly turning to corn, and, and this was this was really the blood god um, uh, whispering in his ear uh, that uh, all that mattered was taking Captain America's head. And turns out, you can't take Captain America's head when he got stomped out by well, not stomped when he get murdered by Telemachus. Yeah, it makes it hard, is what I'm saying. Yeah, that that and the the one suzerain with the uh, the thunder hammer. Yeah, that's he, right. He yeah, it was pretty crash too. Very end too. But actually, so, uh, yeah. I didn't wind up charging into Captain America because uh, he was still in 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 a in a, um, uh, in a challenge with the siege breaker. So I figured, well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna charge Telemachus. He's got a graviton, uh, mastercrafted graviton maul, so he can damage dread. Uh, so I figured, you know, I'm gonna have to deal with this guy eventually. So might as well go into him. And I caused like I think I caused four wounds on Telemachus, which isn't bad, but yeah. it wasn't enough. And so yeah, no. uh, and the other suzerains tore through my castle axe because again, castle axe are no longer very good. Uh, and 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 eventually, uh, Krios went down gloriously fighting against a named character. JP, did you do your solar rocks list? Yeah, your penal one. Yeah, how they, they, they were how just how they run. Bah, they ran fine. All they were just they, they ran exactly like my militia used to run. People shot at them and they died. Ah. That, that that was very much the, the way, yes. I mean, there was no real difference. I wasn't using the four plus either. I was just using five plus, but outside of that, I was using um is the standard solar ox uh, penal uh rule. And they did their job. Uh they we put them into places where we needed a unit, and they were that unit. So I was very satisfied with their uh uh, with their uh, contribution uh, to the glorious victory that was cemented when you fell into my trap by <laughs> dropping behind my tyrants. Oh, <laughs> another, yeah. another unit yeah, they, of suzerain. Yeah, no, because I only had the two suzerain. The, the one that went in behind your tyrants that didn't even get a chance to do anything was the uh, the five man Terminator squad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They were they they they, they dropped behind my tyrants and uh, they didn't want to do anything because they were too scared. And I walked away with the victory because Alex called it, and uh, I I call it a win, <laughs> frankly. You lost your warlord. Glad I could help. 
In, in the Iron Warriors, that means nothing. You fell into my trap. By surrounding me, <laughs> you fell into my trap. That was my plan all along. I consider that a win. <laughs> uh, what, what's what's the uh, Chesty Puller quote, quote? They've got us, you know, they've got us surrounded. They can't escape. They can't get away from us now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, honestly, I got kind of smoked that game. Um, but it, 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 but it's what happens every time you try to play a 10,000-point game. Like, how long do we have? Two hours. Like, yeah, we're not finishing this game. Um, it, 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 wasn't, wasn't, it wasn't 10,000 between us two, because it was a it yeah. was a three-on-three game that was actually going on. What uh, you actually mean, it was, it was a 2v2, and you guys were tagged on for table. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> talking of Praetors, talking of Praetors, Last year at Adepticon, there was a fairly big event involving Praetors, wasn't there? You want to close with that? Oh, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about yeah. that, yeah. Yeah, we, we, but, we but need the, to the hear there's a follow-up. The, the event that shall not be named? Yes. Yes. Yes, it it, it returned uh, this year. So, or this and Classic Zach made me build another, me build another ring. Yeah, because I, I, in my uh, urge to get out of the house that was the one thing that i forgot so i went out i bought another ring um and then uh, you and i had to spend most of saturday trying to put it together well max and i (laughs) alex just looked at it's like fuck that i'm not dealing with this again not not a second year in a row (laughs) yeah (laughs) i know better you guys actually uh this one actually i think went together yeah uh faster than than last year so yeah because i was much more sober um and uh, <laughs> this is true yeah uh so yeah max and i put it together in record speed and um but the thing is the the mdf is so it was so dirty because it's 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 laser cut so it's yeah i know but like getting that soot yeah from the from the burn yeah but i've, I've had other hands. mdf kits like my hands were coal black like i had been yeah. like I had been uh, running the engine on an old, like an old 19th century train. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised I didn't get black lung from that kit. Yeah, I've I put enough of those kits together that, like, I mean, it's the the nice uh, smell of burnt wood is nice. It is um, nice though. Yeah. But yeah, it's but yeah, it get you get so dirty so fast from from putting those things together. So yeah, we put together another ring. This one was far nicer because you also got a mat for it, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I, I bought another, I, I bought a, a resin kit um, because it had uh, tables, ladders, and chairs with it, which was the, the right, thing yeah. that I wanted. <laughs> um, but it came with, but it, but in so that way you don't have to buy like the actual MDF ring. They give you a mat that has like the the ring ropes on it. Mm-hmm. When we just cut out the corners, stuck it, uh, stuck it on top, and it like suddenly your ring had an actual ring mat on it, which was like looked weathered and there were like blood splotches on it and everything else. It was really cool. Yeah. It looks like like right after a Moxley match. So we built the ring and uh, as usual, um, our rule is that you don't talk about Prater wrestling. You don't know where it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to be. You need to be invited. We'll, we'll pass the word around. And what's your main rule? Your main rule is you're using the Prater that you brought. Mm -hmm. Correct. Right. Cause you don't want my only, I wish we could see like more alternates than Paragon Blades. And then maybe instead of just like eliminating instant death, we just do like D3 wounds on instant death. Because then you still might get like a slick swing through. Yeah, maybe. 
Because the reason well, my, we my needed net... this in death is because last year it was kind of lame there. Yeah, I like, know. A lot of people yeah, went down without having a chance to, to strike. Yeah, because there was a lot of power fists and stuff, yeah. right? And just be like, okay, cool. Yep. I'm like, I got one wound left. Slap. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the solution there is, but. I know. My, my nephew, because he wanted to. He wanted to play. It was his first Adepticon, um, but he was there and he wanted to play in it. So I loaned him uh, the Praetor that I was going to play with initially, which was uh, remember that old um, the old metal Cato uh, Sicarius, the one with the two lightning claws. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's what I loaned him. That was going to be my my Praetor running in there with two lightning claws, and he did really well. Granted, hmm. this and he's in his he's in his twenties now. Um, but growing up, like playing with, uh, myself or his daddy, like that kid could roll a seven on a <laughs> six sided die. Like it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then I gave him, then I gave him a, something that he could, you know, re-roll with. So yeah, it was, he won his, his initial, uh, his initial match. All right. So, uh, as usual, uh, if, uh, if you, uh, if you want to play a uh, Prater wrestling, come see us, we'll let you know when it is, or you got to be invited. We pass the word around. And, uh, so we wound up doing it. Because Phoenix ended at six or five thirty, and and then um, we gave everybody a chance to go out to dinner, right? So we set it up for ten, mm-hmm. and uh, we had an amazing, amazing uh, turnout. Like, how many people yes. were there? You think? Did did anybody count? No, at least thirty people. I also yeah, did there, not there count. Quite a few. Um, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people, but not everyone was participating. Some people yeah. were just watching mayhem. Well, that's because we also had a sound system this year. True, yes. which and and a mic, which was great. And by the way, big shout out to uh, our buddy George from uh, Spaceman with Guns, who uh, was our MC for the night. He was our Jim Ross, mm-hmm. only more coherent. So we uh, we 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 did we 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 did our usual thing uh, this year. Instead of a four on four, we did one on one rounds. As usual, our our only rules are: you need your uh, ring song. Uh, to, you need to introduce your Praetor, obviously, and uh, no. Uh, you can't charge on the first turn and no instant death. Um, those are the only rules. Um, and, and, uh, again, and, and also, we, also the other thing I noticed is like, no one knows the words to Judas. Are there no AEW fans? We have a room full of nerds and I'm the only person that knows the words to Judas. I, I do, uh, well, you I, know them, but you were busy. Yeah. Yeah. Craig wasn't I, I was there. I'm sure music. he would have known them. Yeah, I know. It's really disappointing, frankly. Uh, 28. We had, I think we had 28 people. And that's just 20, Jesus. That's just that's just going by my uh uh play or song searches that I had to do for playing everyone's theme song. But uh, maybe uh, quickly go through oh, we're not gonna go through round round uh, round by round, but um uh, essentially we're doing one-on-ones, those one rounds tended to take the, the, the songs lasted way longer than the rounds, though. Yeah, well, I didn't play the whole song, I just played like yeah. enough to Oh, for get sure. us through but even then yeah in that yeah so and then people wanted to come in to give kind of like a, they had and they had to give kind of like a quick uh promo introduction for their uh for their praetor and and uh before they started rolling so yeah it, it was it was very uh seat of the pants as as praetor wrestling should be exactly and what was cool is we were next mm-hmm. to golden demon too so you had a bunch of people like the fuck is going on here why are you guys so loud and playing all this copyrighted music um and then we had so like what 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 we mean by like 
by the you know making up it as we as we go along like if you had an idea of something you want to do and you came and said you know talk to one of us we're like oh yeah that's that's cool how do you want to how do you want to pull it off and they're like oh well we could do this like yep that sounds that works for me yeah it's like the chairs came in too yep chairs came in um uh alex what was pretty came in and and uh tagged in on your match yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, because uh, I like I I had a Charnable saber as my weapon because I used them exactly how I how I had run them in the uh, in the doubles the disintegrator pistol and a Charnable saber. Um, but the Charnable saber loses a lot of its bite without my warlord trait, <laughs> and uh, and still actually like you know I I got a lot of rends through. He just nailed his uh, his invuln saves. Otherwise, I I would have killed him. Um. But yeah, I tagged pretty in and uh, last minute and then pretty pretty finished them off for me. And then I was like, sweet. But then somebody like somebody else just like put my guy back in and was like, uh, you're double crossing him now. You have to fight him. And I was like, uh, okay, I don't really want to do that. <laughs> like, but fine. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh yeah. So and then of course, like, you know, I got one one wound left and I'm fighting my doubles partner and my tag team partner. And then he just squashed me. So, <laughs> uh, you got, you got like, Sean Michaels. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Marty Janetti into the, into the window. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so yeah, it was a lot of that. Like, Oh, well we're bringing this table in. It's like, fuck it, let's figure out how to do the table. Um, and of yeah, course I missed this that is stuff. like a, yeah, it's just like a wind down event. And obviously it's not meant to be competitive and it's not even meant to be organized. So, that's, I think, some of the charm of it. And I'm just delighted that it kept its charm the second time we do it. Hell I think yeah. everybody had a blast. No, no one can. The only issue we had is that by the time we had done the first round, it's it, it's we were running low on time. So we had to do a, uh, a, a battle royale. As Americans like to call it, apparently a battle royal. It's not what it is. Um, yeah, they don't know. There's no E at the at the end of battle royal. But it's not an it's it's if it was if it was an English term, it'd be royal battle. It's a French term, bataille royale. If you want to play royale with cheese. Exactly. A what? A royale with cheese. I have no idea what you're talking about now. Of course, of course you do. Come on. (laughs) Royale of Fremont. Are you fucking with us? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay, cool. Because I just watched the (laughs) RJ City interviewing Brian Danielson. It was all that. So <laughs> I'm watching a lot of it. No, it's it's because you were you were pronouncing it the the proper way. And as a Frenchman that was in Detroit, uh, you should have noticed that everything is yeah. French spelled and English pronounced. That's okay. That's why it's Detroit, not Detroit and uh Grashet. I'm calling the police. I'm calling the police. <laughs> <laughs> calling the Office Québécois à langue française. Yeah. Well, you know, that's why uh, Chicago is also um, uh, a French, uh, old French word uh, or a gallicization of, uh, of an indigenous uh, term. That's why we say Chicago instead of Chicago. If it was in English, it would be Chicago. Right? right. Chicago. And Illinois. The Illinois. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's completely irrelevant. Um the fuck were we talking about? <laughs> Chambert. <laughs> yeah, so we did a, a, a battle a battle royal at the end. 
See, I'm going to pronounce it your way. Uh, and... No, I'm going to I'm going to call I'm going to call the Department of Languages in Quebec on you. Um... Oh no! Don't need them knocking on yeah. my door. Yeah. Um, so uh, we did the uh, so we did it was like a six uh, six man match, I believe, six Prater match, five Prater match. I was in it. I don't remember, I don't remember uh, exactly how many. Because I, I, I got, I got knocked out pretty early. I had to go talk to other people at that at that time. I had other that are more important other, than us. Uh, at that at that moment, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> so I, I got knocked out. Now, who, so who was the big winner? Oh, I don't know. Does anybody remember? <laughs> I I do not know. I was not on that side of the hall at that point. No one remembers who won. No, Mm-mm. I wasn't over there at the time. So no, I don't. I don't God, know. I, at least I was trying to rally the troops to uh, to clean up. No. Because that was most uh, the biggest thing on my mind at that moment. Was, <laughs> if, uh, if you gotta get out of here, Brainer wrestling this year, could you please <laughs> put, put a, <laughs> tell us in the comments? <laughs> this is what happens when you do an event at like midnight on the last day of Adepticon With, without any kind of structure to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you win, congratulations. Expect much of us. <laughs> <laughs> I would like yeah. to congratulate the winner. Victory. I, I know I, I know Stephen Hillman won last year. That's all I know. All right. Well, anyways, congratulations to the winner. Because uh, I got knocked out and then immediately got distracted by some other shiny thing uh, that was happening. But uh, I think everybody had a good time. That's what's important. But th- again, the only frustrating thing is everybody was kind of rushed at the end because we need to clear out for uh, Golden Demon. Uh, I think uh, next time we'll try to take that into account. If we're going to do a late event, we've got to make sure that we can actually play it all the way through. Mm-hmm. So that was a Depticon. Well, not all of it. No, we also did Indie Game Night. That's right. We did Indie Game Night. Uh, we played, yeah. uh, um, don't need to go too much detail, but uh, we got to play some Lunar. Got to play some Don't Look Back. Uh, yeah. Good time. I dummied a Cosmonaut with a rock hammer at like. Lunar is pretty yards. fun. Yeah, Lunar was awesome. Um, um, I liked Lunar a lot. I liked uh, Don't Look Back too. Like, I liked how I deliberately went to each like terrain feature to generate jump scares. Until yeah. I spawned Freddy Krueger and then left the two girls alone, like ran away. <laughs> I'm like, oh, very classy. <laughs> you guys still won that out of here, though. even with your cowardice. <laughs> yeah, I had a baseball bat and she had a cell phone. I was like, "Cool, call for help." See ya. <laughs> well, that actually worked because she called the pizza did, guy. Yeah. Freddy immediately <laughs> went to kill the pizza guy, uh, and 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 you guys managed to get away. Of course, I forgot a bunch of rules that would have really made it harder. But you know, I don't really get to play. Why? Why am I running a game that I barely get to play myself? Like I don't. Anyways, um, yeah. But anyways, there's yeah. just and and I think that for anybody that doesn't get to go to Adepticon, um, I think from our conversation, you get an idea of the utter chaos that it is for like five days. When I mean, you get to the end of it, it's like, what the hell happened? I gotta understand. I've been here for five days, <laughs> yet I feel like I didn't have a second to myself. I was in one event yeah. and still like managed to like all, all my whole day was occupied. But you know what? That's what I like about Adepticon though. Like, cause I do the same thing. I buy one event. I mean, I run one as well, but, um, or I did the last two years, but having one event the rest of the time, just to like meander around, fuck about like play demo games, build a ring for Zach. Cause I'm sure I'm going to build a ring for year. Zach. Yeah, like I like I no, tried no, I tried out uh, Andy Chambers and um, uh, who's the other person that was there? Uh, Gav Thorpe. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I ran into yeah. Gav Thorpe by the elevator. Just like, <laughs> I didn't yeah. know what to I say. Didn't I, Gav I, I thanked him for yeah. his service. 
I thanked him for his service. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't meet Gav, but uh, Andy Chambers like helped me helped me and and Murray through like a a demo game of their their new miniatures game, Zeogenesis. Uh, and actually, I really liked it. Like I the I really liked the system. It was it was fun. It was intuitive. It didn't take very long for us to play a demo game, even with us like not knowing what the fuck we were doing and. And like Murray's voice was gone, so I would speak for Murray, and my stems are broken, so he would like get up and move my guy around. <laughs> but it was sweet; it was actually a lot of fun, and I, I really like the system that they've got going on there. So, you know, um, the, other per- the other person I ran into, like I was with Miles, it's like, hey, Miguimenez. It's like you know what he looks like. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I got yeah, the, he was got the uh, chat with Miguimenez. He was so nice. I'm jealous of that. Like, I love the MIG products, but I think the only wholesaler in Canada that carried his products just shut down. Yeah. So, um, which means I'm not going to have very much access to it. So I'm going to have to, like, find solutions or make my own weathering things. I'm going to have to just, like, let a battery corrode in the backyard to get, like, some friggin' copper, copper oxide powder. <laughs> like... <laughs> Just leave a piece of like iron <laughs> on my back deck. Let that rust up. Um, yeah, I don't know, but no, that's that's like if you're a new person, and you're thinking about Adepticon. I know, I know. A lot of the time, the first people that get there like book themselves the whole time. Nah, don't. I I I think you should at least book yourself one day. Like there's another guy from Edmonton, Dan, uh, who's hanging out with us on the last night there, and he he booked uh the first day so he booked thursday uh and then saturday um for his he was playing titanicus but uh and then he took like the middle day as a day to like mess around rest and and then saturday he like he went big in the evening after his his event was done but I, I don't know how you guys feel about that. I, I kind of get like it's maybe the same sense, but there's just so much going on. Like you can walk yeah. around and meet people if you have extra time. Like, and you can do things like get suckered into indie games every single year. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like glad that I got I got suckered into the same indie game and I didn't, yeah. I didn't branch off. But like I I came close. Like, no, I'm on a budget and I'm only getting don't look back because there's a bunch of um uh, there's a bunch of uh, the 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 uh the expansions that I didn't have and uh, a brokerage fees and, and shipping are so expensive to Canada. So I just wanted to get them there. So I got a yeah. mad deal on them. Um, but uh, um, again, it, 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 this just gives you an example of the chaos that Depticon is. And uh, But here's the thing. We've only scratched the surface of our Depticon coverage for this episode. Darren? Yeah, so we're also going to be speaking to Lucas, who will be um, Praxis event as well. And Eric. And Eric as well is going to be joining us for that conversation. So I'm interested in that one. Not that I have been interested in chatting to Alex and Zach, but that was a very, very clear narrative and, and a long-going campaign, that one. So I'm interested to see how that one develops and how it compares to the other events we talked about tonight. But before we go into that, I'd like to thank our wonderful guests, my good friends, uh, Zach and Alex. Uh, for coming uh, for coming along today and 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 talking about uh, what was an amazing event. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the second part of our Adepticon kind of review after post event. 
Um, and we're now joined by Eric and Lucas from Referic's campaign for that weekend, or Referic's narrative campaign. Lucas joined us in a previous episode. Um, oh, good. A while ago now, for a pre-Adepticon and gave us some really amazing audio files. We really love those. Um, so, gents, hello and welcome. Hey, Darren. Thanks for having us on. So how was the event for you guys? I mean, JP's already given us a bit of a rundown about how his event that he remembers went. So how was the Phyrix? Yeah. Lucas, you want to take us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought it ran very smooth. Uh, not to um, kind of blow ourselves up here a little bit, but I think we did a lot of prep work pre-event that really paid off. Um, it ran very smooth. Although we could not have done it without all the help that we had. We had quite a few people helping us. You know, we had John Christensen bringing the terrain from um, Heresy Accountability's podcast. We had Cody McGeerty from Forgotten Legion driving everything up here. We had the guys that actually came and helped us, like Eric and another guy we know named Andrew, uh, as well as my wife and Hannah, which is David's fiance. Uh, so that was uh, that was awesome. We We had a great time. Um, we had on our big events, what do we do, Eric? We did, uh, 46 or 48 players on day one. Yeah. I think on day two, I think everybody or on day one, I think everybody drank too much. Cause on day two, we only had like 30 <laughs> classic Adepticon out of, out of 50. And mm-hmm. then on day three, we actually had 50 in the main event. And then when we came back from lunch, we had 52. I don't know how that happened, but yeah, Some, somehow somebody was playing on a table that didn't belong to us and was turning yeah. in a scoring card. So we just counted it. Yeah, it counted. <laughs> yeah, it why not? Yeah. Just absorb from elsewhere, grab those in. So, can you just uh, give our listeners a quick um, remembrances kind of summary of the Phoenix cluster and the background to the event before we start talking about how the event narrative panned out? Yeah. So, um, with the Adepticon event, we're dealing with the last um, identified location in the outer ring of the Ferric system. Um, uh, main planet is Nazar with a huge orbital structure um, above. So we, the plan was going into it was to have both land, or I'm sorry, planet side activities going on while the Megazium stuff, which is kind of become the, the crown jewel of the Ferric system or the Phoenix campaign. It's the thing that we carry from event to event to event. Um, that would represent the orbital fight going on above. Um, we designed everything with like maximum crossover so that um, the planet was subdivided and you could earn bonuses for winning your, your subdivision. And then the fights in the ZM would also um, affect the planet side stuff as well as vice versa. So story-wise, Nazar was, was the... Like I said, the the last planetoid in the outer ring, um, it had a weird sort of spire in the center um, that was kind of unidentified in the story leading up to Adepticon. Um, The orbital station sitting directly above it um, in kind of like a geosynchronous kind of situation. Anyways, um, after the events of Adepticon, I guess, is it okay if I jump into that just straight off? Absolutely. Okay. So after the events of Adepticon, and spoiler warning for anybody who doesn't know, um, all of our audio narratives or all of our narratives are audio dramas. So you can actually go to our, our website and listen to all of these. So this is after the players have fought over Nazar and the orbital station. Essentially what happens is 
Um, the traitor side tries to breach the tower on the planet. The tower on the planet reacts by sending a, a signal to the orbital station. The orbital station, which is currently got people on it, um, essentially ends up being a giant battery capacitor, dumps all of its power back down into the tower. The tower then, um, or the planet then sort of transforms. Comms towers burst out of the planet's surface. Um, a giant disruption bubble that forms around the planet that cuts off communication from the ground troops to the orbit or to the ships in orbit. Eventually, the bubble that's around the planet just expands through the ships, which disables all of the warp drives of all of the non-Primark-sized um, ships. So if you're just a regular legionary, you don't have the way to leave. You're, you no longer have a way to leave the system. So this is where we're narratively explaining that from now on, Ferex is going to be a non-named character, non-Primark event series. So well, That's a good way to do it. That's a clever way to do it. I like that. Yeah, so we can let the we can let the primarchs and the name characters slip away. Um, that way, they can go back to doing their stuff that's in the books, and and we can tell a really cool story about a weird corner of the of space. So this is just a, a really, really, um, a really interesting way, uh, a really subtle way to to or take the name characters out. And I am always a huge fan of having people make their own characters the game used to be that right remember when uh, in 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 prior editions before uh third you'd have to get your opponent's permission to have a named character because it was still grown uh, the the whole hobby grew out of a role-playing game rogue trader was essentially a role-playing game with miniatures um why did you make that decision though i'm curious um so lucas and i sat down when we were okay so this sort of given a little backstory when we inherited the fierce um, campaign from David. One of the things that we lacked was a really well-written narrative. Um, David was really smart, had a lot of story points that he wanted to hit, but was not very good at getting them written down so that in the case of something happening, you know, somebody could pick it up for him. So a lot of the conversations and, or it was almost like a kind of a memorial service of my own when I decided to sit down and, and start sort of rough drafting the, the narrative because um, I had to comb through every conversation I had had with David. Um, I had to watch every live stream that he did. I watched every or read every event pack to get any hints or details as to where this was going, how fast it was going, and what the major story points were. So once we had that base narrative down, we started working on the plan for Adapticon and we, we already knew the setting. Um, so when we were talking about it, I was like, you know, it would be really cool if um, if this disables the ships. Because I've always, in my personal narrative with my army, so my army has only existed in Ferex, really. Um, I haven't really played many events outside of the Ferex campaign. So um, narratively speaking, my army's built in it. I've always pictured them as being isolated here. Like they're no, they, they aren't able to escape. That's how I mentally always examined it. And I pitched it to, to Lucas and I said, hey, what if we just, you know, strand everybody here, like give it a narrative hook where everybody, regardless of whether they want to be or not, has a narrative reason that they can latch on to to say, oh, this is why my army in Ferex is the way it is. And um, Lucas liked it. So we we sat down and figured out a way to sort of, you know, what does that look like? Does OK, well, let's get rid of Primarchs for sure. Because we've always had sort of a dissonance in the narrative with the Primarchs showing up for Adepticon. Um, because historically, they haven't been allowed in Ferex campaigns. But with it being Adepticon, we're like, well, we want everybody to play with all their big toys. And 
So we, we let them in and then we were just like, well, we'll just get rid of, of Primarchs. And then obviously when you remove Primarchs from it, it's like, well, name characters don't really make a lot of sense either because at least in the 2.0, a lot of the name characters are, are referenced in other material. So there's a way to sit down and track name characters, you know, not as well as Primarchs, but um, you generally speaking have an idea of where they are. And again, that causes a little bit of dissonance with this idea that Spherix is this weird, isolated part of space, and it's got something very unique going on, unlike everything else in the story of Warhammer, right? And so, yeah, I was just going to say that. I, I really like how you haven't gone for the classic, and a warp storm closes off this sector. Right. You've gone for something very, very different, much more technologically based as well, but we've still seen similar technology to that being used yeah. in other events. So it's, yeah, it's still got a, a basis in game, hasn't it? Yeah, and, and that's sort of that's sort of where we approach the narrative from is that um I don't want to give too much away because it's still there's still a lot of the big hooks are still there as far as like what is going on here. And um, but essentially, yeah, it is it is all very much rooted in the Imperium and in the mechanizations of everything that Warhammer is. Um, it's just that in this particular space, we're looking at a a place that's been isolated for a long time and has made its own divergences because of it. And that's what we're sort of playing with narratively. Which makes it much more exciting. Makes that though all the Phoenix events are a very unique set of the events then, aren't they? They're not they're part of heresy, but they're alongside the heresy. So they they are they have their own little hooks, their own narrative tweaks, as it were. I, I like it. It, it. You're making it very much yours, aren't you? Yeah, and that's sort of, and like I said, this was all divined from David's, you know, David's original plan. And I'm doing, you know, me and Lucas and, and the team are really doing our best to try and stay as true to that as we can. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I think it's more fun this way because you're not, you can bend the rules a little bit when you need to do something that's not quite Warhammer. Um, you can get away with it because you can just say, well, this is how, how we did it in this sector, you know. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's going really well. We've started working out the next couple of chapters for the upcoming events that we have. And um, I think the next the next couple of chapters will really start to pull the curtain back ever so slightly on what might be lying at the center of this thing. Before we, uh, um, before we forget, what are the uh, the next events? Because we might forget at the end. Uh, oh, so let's just do it now. What are the next events for the Phoenix, the story of the Phoenix cluster? So it's going to be at a brand new, it's going to be attached to a brand new, um, 40k GT called Texas Open, and that is August 11th through 13th here in Dallas, which is uh, it's actually in downtown Dallas, so not too far from either DFW Airport or uh, Love Field. So it's pretty easy to get here. Um, it's going to be the same kind of thing. We're going to do a full narrative write up. It's going to be so. I don't know if we want to jump into this, but we basically have our events. Um, categorized in three categories right we have acts which are the biggest of our events like that's going to be your adepticon and maybe others in the future right now it's just adepticon and that moves the story forward in a major way and usually puts us into like the next chapter right and then you have incursions which are the second level and that's what these events fall into so they're like weekend events that important story parts part of them but are not like the biggest 
and most important story points, right? And then you have operations, and operations are little one-day events that we're running, you know, just like a gaming weekend kind of thing. People aren't usually traveling for those, and those explore the smallest narrative points in the Aphiric system. So kind of like, uh, you know how like in the black books you had like little paragraph off to the side that would like go over, you know, one tiny little op- engagement or whatever? That's kind of what we're going for for the operations. Those are just keeping our communities in the cities that we operate in going. You know what I mean? Just regular little one-day Saturday gaming events and stuff. So I should note that what's fun about those is that they can lead to something else. They can lead to a right. branching story. Because remember, the most famous of those little little boxes back from uh, Book of the Adepticon. Book of the Adepticon. Uh, um, the most famous one is, of course, the Horse Heresy. So you have this narrative kickoff with with this power relay and knocking out all the warp drives and stuff how did you bring that across to the players that's how i what that's what i'm intrigued in so as part of your narrative how was that fed out to the players themselves um mostly it was so the audio for that would actually dropped after the final game of the day we didn't want to really spoil it narratively um because it was actually very very close and and Lucas can tell you about when we get over to the competitive side of it or the actual gameplay side of it, um, he'll take the lead on it. But it was very, very close points wise on the last day up to very much the last games uh, turning in score sheets. So um, we didn't want to try and either get overshadowed by the gameplay that was happening or detract from what was going on. So we dropped it actually after the last game finished and then just sort of let everybody know as sort of um, a hook going into, hey, come to our next event and see what happens after this, right? The narrative goes just far enough to really give them an idea of what the aftermath is, but doesn't quite set up the next thing. So our next regional event audio will sort of pick up where that left off and lead right into um, what the legions are going to do when they they find the inability to leave the system. Excellent. So moving on from the narrative, what can you tell us about the actual uh, um uh, the actual games involved uh did you see any pa- uh, any patterns or or tendencies as far as like army composition or army choice uh um anything interesting happened on the actual tabletop sure so first thing i wanted to talk about in the gameplay section is we talked about last time our our like uh points of interest system right we had our npcs and our architect and that is a little bit of a narrative system but um, it obviously has a big gameplay element. Uh, it was very widely adopted and, ve- in my opinion, very successful. Um, at one point on day three, when you know you could carry these items over, so that obviously the selection of items would get smaller as players like kept playing through the day. Although they can be recycled, like when you die and every or when the NPCs die and when your guys die, they drop their archaeotech and all that stuff, right? Um, at the very like in the in the second game of day three, we had everything we brought was completely checked out. We had no more items to give people, so we had eighty eight archaeotech cards. We had four decks of of twenty two, and we had like seventy two NPCs, seventy something like that, like low seventy NPCs. And every single one of them was checked out and everybody really had the best feedback on that. There were a couple, there's a couple things that could be tuned. Obviously it's not a perfect system, but overall the reception of that system was very, very good. 
So we're definitely going to keep that moving forward. And we're going to, uh, one of the things that I wish we had done a little bit better job of in regards to that system is using that system to drive the narrative a little bit harder. Like having characters, rather than having just like where you draw the card and it's like, oh, you got a rogue traitor, right? It's, oh, just this is just an example, obviously, but it's, I drew the card and I got, oh, this is Caleb Decima, Magos of the Order Reductor, right? He's like a, he has a name, he has a name and he has a little narrative blurb and all that. And you can really like try to immerse players in the narrative using this system. So all of the Archaeotech had a little narrative blurb about like what the device actually is. But the NPCs, I think we probably could have done just a little bit better job. Like I said, the, the reception was great, but version, you know, 1.1 is going to have, it's going to be even better. Yeah, I mean, that's that's benefits so, hindsight, isn't it? That's that's the joys of running any kind of these events. So you mentioned the architect last time, but you didn't really give us any examples. Can you share some examples of what kind of architect was available then for players? Sure. Uh, so actually we had a really fun, one of the things, we've said it a couple of times, but one of the really fun things was uh, one of our players drew uh, the warp shunt device, like the warp shunt generator. So it's like a personal warp generator and it allows a unit to move in a straight line and for every item, like anywhere on the battlefield, obviously, and for every solid item that any model in their unit passes through, they must take dangerous terrain. So it can be quite dangerous, obviously. If you move through three items with a 20-man unit, you have to take 60 tests. So that's, that's quite risky. a lot of tests. That's just very <laughs> risky. But you could move your entire Death Star of your Primark and all of your dudes to the other side of the table in an instant. And it also um, allows the opponent to use the interceptor reaction on you. So that's also risky. But movement is the most important part of the game. So it allows you to get basically free movement anywhere you want. And so that kind of, you know, pays for itself. But anyways, we had a World Eaters player draw that, right? And he was like, oh, I'm going to move my inductee. We're good to go. And then the next thing he does is he moves just a little bit, and he draws another point of interest, and it's a navigator. And he's like, I can see where this Yo. is going. He's like, what can I do with this? And I'm like, I'm like, I can't let you eliminate the risk completely, right? That's kind of a maybe a feel bad for your opponent, simply because you've gotten lucky and you've drawn these two cards in combination with each other. You know, it's like, oh, so now you just get to do whatever you want. So I was like, I was like, he was like, I want to sacrifice the navigator. And I was like, well, there's no need for that. Um, you can have a reroll on the dangerous chest, right? I thought that was pretty fair. And he's like, all right, I'll take the reroll, but I'm, but I'm still sacrificing the navigator. <laughs> <laughs> and he just does it and then just hands the card back. And he's like, here you go. <laughs> well, you got so that was really fun. Yeah. There was another one too, that I, I particularly enjoyed. I believe it was a night Raptors player who got a, um, the gang leader from Necromunda and was able mm -hmm. to use the burrow mechanic from, um, from Necromunda, where you can jump into a, basically go through the walls and come out in a different spot. Um, so they were able to burrow a, a unit um, from one um, explosion rep, or you know one piece of terrain to another piece of terrain directly behind the line of the the advancing Blood Angels, I believe, <laughs> and and strike them from behind, which was pretty interesting. 
So were these cards only available in the main games, or were they also available in the ZM games as well? They were available in the ZM, but some of the mechanics um, maybe could be tuned a little bit better to work in ZM. Like, like the, for example, that that like gang leader mechanic doesn't work in ZM because you can't like go entirely into a piece of terrain. That's how the mechanic works: is you have to like move your entire unit into right. a piece of area terrain, and then they can then exit any other piece of area terrain. It's like a, you know, like a sewer grate that they go into or whatever. That's awesome. Yeah. So that doesn't really work. It's in like, like the old cities fights uh, stratagems. There was one that you could go into the tunnels on that one, wasn't that's there? That's right, so, yeah. Right, right. Exactly. So it that's what that is. That's what that does. And uh, But that doesn't really work in ZM, right? Because there is no area terrain. So while you could imagine that there are secret passages in the ZM, as far as the nitty gritty of the rules, it doesn't really work well. But just getting the NPC and having the NPC survive at the end of your game gains your side campaign points. So it, how we did it was a win in your in your game, like you know, a victory point win was worth three, a draw is worth two, and a loss is worth one point, right? Mm-hmm. So, because even losing a battle is a contribution, you're still there. You're still preventing, you know, another army from being somewhere else, right? Um, and each NPC that you had at the end of the game that was still alive was worth a point. And actually, some of the NPCs, like one of my one of the funniest ones, is like the merchant princeling, right? And he's like a dog shit NPC. Like he literally does nothing. He has a las pistol and a sword that he doesn't know how to use. And, but he's worth more points at the end of the game because he has value as a person. Like he's like, he has a ransom basically that you can retrieve at the end of the game. That is a great mechanic. I love that. So he's really useless. He doesn't have any other special rules. One of them, there's a, there's also an Imperial Noble that has the same mechanic, but the Imperial Noble has a special rule on their card where they will not enter a piece of terrain that is wet. <laughs> if the terrain looks wet, they will not go in. <laughs> so oh. it's just the funny stuff. Like, yeah. Wait, like could that. he be sacrificed? So we, we no, I can see it. the World Eaters not really playing this game. Yeah. yeah they're like, we're going in here, you're on your own, bud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we had yeah, some, we some did have the, some we did have some there were some weird interactions with ZM and I think it's definitely something we're going to take a look at as far as the NPC system goes in using it but there were also really good reactions in the ZM because you want to you you want to share the Ambot story from the ZM and then also I think it's worth pointing out the uh, the John Wick storyline that ended up playing out throughout the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we need to in the ZM. Stories. In the ZM, we had a guy that got an NPC. So I, I, I'll just go over it for those of us who may have missed the last episode. You could retrieve one of the NPC, or there were four factions of NPCs, basically. So you don't know what you're getting, and you flip it over, and it has a faction. So the factions are traitor, loyalist, neutral, and hostile. So obviously, if you're a traitor and you draw a traitor, it joins you. If you're a traitor and you draw a neutral, it joins you. But if you're a traitor and you draw a loyalist, or if you're a traitor and you draw a hostile, it joins your opponent. So in this case for the ZM, it was a big mega battle. So you basically just picked the guy like on the other team that just got this card. But one of the mechanics that we had was um, on the ZM, if your team controlled the Archaeotech 
research facility, you could draw two cards and pick one. So that kind of eliminated the risk of you getting a hostile NPC, except for that it didn't because there were many times people drew two hostile ones and we're like, oh, well, now I have to pick my doom, right? Like, I got to pick the guy I got to fight. And one guy picked the Ambot, you know, the the one from Necromunda. <laughs> yeah. And They're lovely little models. We might have made the Ambot a little tough. He kind of has the stats of like a beefed up Castellax. Imagine if you had a Castellax who was weapon skill and ballistic skill five. So yeah, he has pretty good stats. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> and so he comes up and he holds down this hallway against like just waves of Astartes. And they like are trying to get into this hallway. And they he just held the hallway down the entire game after he came up. They could not get past him. And that was fun. And then we had a guy playing salamanders. His name is Sean. He's playing salamanders. And he drew one of the cards is an enforcer. So like a like a cop kind of, right? Like an Arbite maybe with a dog. And the dog actually has a really cool mechanic where he can like bite somebody and it reduces their initiative. Like it, they're trying to like, you know, he like bites their <laughs> arm and they're now slower. So that's, that's he was fighting Conrad Kurz. <laughs> and Conrad Kurz precision shotted the dog. <laughs> like he stabbed the dog <laughs> in particular. And so the dog died. And so after that game, the enforcer actually survived the game. Like he, I don't know how he survived a combat with Conrad Kurz, but he did. And we gave him, we took his enforcer and we gave him a Vindicare assassin. And we're like, oh, this is Jonas Wickius. He's back in. You got to, you, you know, this Vindicare assassin <laughs> is trying to like get revenge for his dog. And so he plays the whole weekend with this Vindicare assassin. The Vindicare assassin never dies. He plays the whole weekend. And every game we're like increasing. We put a bounty on the Vindicare. And we're like increasing the bounty every game. You know, like the Russian mob like increases the bounty on him or whatever. And so we're like increasing the bounty on John Wick the whole time until the very last game. He finally dies. And it actually brought the victory points really close. Like it almost tied up the entire campaign because of how long he had survived. The bounty doubled every time. So at first it was like two and then it was four and then it was, you know, eight. And I think it got up to like 40. (laughs) And so 40 campaign points. So that would be the equivalent of you winning. What is that? Like 13 games? Yeah. That's just awesome. This this is one of the great joys of... Uh, this is one of the great joys of these kinds of events is kind of the flexibility of them, especially when they're not like competitive. No one's trying to, uh, you know, to to win medals or anything like that. They're, they're really right. the goal is to make a fun story and a memorable one. Um, I've been in 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 non narrative events in the past, uh, more like tournament. Uh, I don't remember any of the games. I don't remember any of that. Frankly, I don't remember a lot of, um, uh, uh, but I remember moments. I remember like cool stuff that happens that stays in your memory. That stays in your, in your, in your, in your mind that, and there's a lot of joy that comes from that. So having the flexibility of taking something cool that happens in the game and then running with it is, 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 is one of the best parts about narrative gaming. Right. I agree completely. And we had, we had some great players that really like exemplified that. Like we had John, my buddy, John Christensen and, uh, I'm sure you know Josh De La Rosa. They were playing, and Josh brought his Warhound, 
John killed it on turn one. The first thing he did, he was like, I can't allow that. And just killed the Warhound. But then they had an NPC that was a Remembrancer. And one of the Remembrancer's things is that he can witness the death of a Warlord. And then it makes that worth more points. Like, it makes it worth more victory points. It changes Mm. Slay the Warlord from 1 to D3. Right? If he witnesses it. And then also lives to tell people about it. So... Then he's trying. So he he watched him kill his warlord. You know he had a, he had solar auxilia, so he was running the the tank. It was his warlord, armored. Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Tank commander guy. He's his warlord, and he kills the tank, and then has to hide his little remembrancer with almost no infantry. He's running armored spearhead, so he can't just like hide it in a big unit of terminators or something. So he has to hide this remembrancer and. All Josh is trying to do is kill it, and it was a really good time. So it, I, we had a really good group of players that really like played into that. And I didn't really hear any complaints about people, you know, like, oh, well, he drew this like super powerful card, and it was kind of bullshit or whatever. We had nobody talk about that at all. The only was complaint was the Malort. Malort! <laughs> I was a little worried that some people would be salty about like if they – drew a hostile NPC that was really powerful. Some of the hostile ones were pretty powerful. I was worried that people would be upset about that, but that really wasn't the case, and I was really happy with how it worked out. I think if you go to a narrative, you've got to expect things to be spun on their head. If you, if you, if you want a... I'm going to use the word fair, balanced game, then narrative game is possibly not the experience you're yeah. after. So you, you need to expect right. those curveballs thrown in. So you mentioned about the victory points. I'm kind of interested in this. Did you keep the victory points for the ZM games separate from the standard games, or were they all combined together? All combined together. Um, So we actually have a a, um, photo album on our link tree, which I'm sure JP will link below, because that's also where you can find the audio narratives and all that stuff. It's all of our links in one place. We have a photo album, and in that photo album, if you check it out, you can actually see that we um, we had a digital scoreboard so my lovely wife was able to um, create. Actually, what's funny is I created this digital scoreboard in Excel and like had this thing where you like had this super complicated spreadsheet with all these formulas and you would like type in who won, you know, here's the points. And then it would like create this really fancy graph, right? That yeah. beautiful graph. Yeah. It, I tested it three times before we got there. And then when we got there, it was broken. Like the none of the formulas worked right. <laughs> And I was like, I got classic really Excel. With yeah, classic Excel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Classic sure. Excel. And, uh, but my wife was able to salvage it. So um, she works with Excel at her job. So she was able to salvage it and create and still work the the, the spreadsheet and the I mean the um, the scoreboard. So we had like a, a screen and it had like basically like pie charts, right? With the loyalist lo- you know logo on one and the trader logo on the other, and so you could see how well your team was doing in each of the different battle zones, the five battle zones, as well as station Upsilon, which is the ZM. You could see how well your team was doing in all of these things. And then it had a big pie graph in the middle. So you could see how well your team was doing overall. So oh, we really so like that. See the overall effects. Yeah. That's, that's really good. Yeah. That kind of reminds me of the, um, that's sure. good. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, do you remember the, the 13th black crusade campaign, the GW mm-hmm. band back in the yeah. early 2000s? Where you could see all the different yeah. subsectors and how it contributed to remain whole. Yeah, I, I I like that idea. I think that's really good. So how close was it at the end then? Give, give um, us I the think final we were, end so result. I don't have the I don't have the tallies right here in front of me, 
Um, I can't. My computer's not working right now, so I can't actually pull up the the I'll dig album. For it. We have just, the tallies. Yeah, yeah I'll dig for it. You keep talking. <laughs> they were really close. So I think the totals of like campaign points were in the like low three hundreds for both teams, and they were within ten percent of each other. So just a couple games, you know, yeah. different really. Final score was four seventy three for the loyalist and four forty six for the traders. Damn, that's close. Okay, that's really that is close. close. Than the mid but that's interesting because that that fits in with what Alex and Zach were telling us about their events as well. So we're we're talking about three, you know, sizable events from all the Adepticon events with um, fairly balanced between loyalists and traitor victories. So. That's suggesting something about, I'm not going to use the word balance in the game, but how close the oh, yeah. two sides are. That's kind of a lot of people. Trying... Go, on, go on, Lucas. A, a lot of people, I think, were worried that the loyalists, you know, I think traditionally the consensus is, is that the loyalists have the more powerful legions, just in general. That's a that's a very general statement, but you get what I'm saying. Like, if you asked 100 Porous Heresy players, whose legions are stronger, I think the vast majority would tell you that the Loyalists have the stronger legions, right? Yeah, Dark Angels, Imperial Fists. Yeah, absolutely. Ultramarines. Ultramarines, yeah. No. So I'm not saying that there are not powerful traitors, but I'm just meaning like just overall in the rules, if you take like the most busted stuff or whatever you want to call it, the most powerful stuff that you're going to be playing a Loyalist legion most likely. So... I think Iron Warriors are up there. We're not here to get into a discussion of tier lists or whatever. That's not really the point of what I'm trying to say. The point I'm trying to say is, is that a lot of people worry that the Loyalists are just going to sweep it because they have the more powerful legions, right? But we really found that to not be the case, that it's pretty balanced. Now, the Traders did have a little bit of help. Like I said, remember, um, the Salamanders player did have quite a big bounty on one of his characters that w- they were able to achieve, which gave them... I think it was almost 40 points. Yeah. And it was the last game of the day of the, yeah, the, last, the last game of the game. last day. So <laughs> it was a Hail Mary that, that actually landed, you know, uh, but right. wasn't quite enough to, to swing the victory. Right. But it easily could have been. So it was almost 10% of the total points that were scored in this one game. But, but anyways, it didn't have to get to that point. You know what I mean? If he had, if somebody had killed him in the next game after that, that wouldn't have happened. But I think you're right. I think there is a, a certain level of like just balance, but do you want to get into kind of like the trends and like, we can talk yeah. a little bit about, I guess meta is the right word, but I know it's kind of well, a dirty word. It, we all hate using it's, the term, but we know what we mean, right? Yeah. But yeah. Fun- functionally it's for meta for Adepticon, isn't it? That's what you're t- for the Ferrix campaign is for Ferrix meta. Well, cause that, that's what right. it means, isn't it? It's a, the most common trends, most common features in the games that you played over that weekend. So I'm, I'm quite intrigued by this. What what was available? How did it pan out? What did we see? What did we not see? Is also quite we had a We had a really good spread of things that were available. Um, the only thing that we... I think the only two things that we did not see in our campaign, this is, again, just for our side of the room, overall, were, there was no one playing either faction of Talons of the Emperor. Nobody brought Custodes or Sisters of Silence that I know That's of. I did not see it. I don't remember seeing that anywhere. We were not. We, I, I know a couple guys in the teams brought brought it, but I think it's still pretty rare. Like they were playing a hundred. What was it like a 
low hundreds, like 110 players, and they had like a handful of guys bringing either one of them. Like it was still pretty rare over there as well. But we had no one playing Custodes or Sisters of Silence. We had a couple guys playing Solar Auxilia, like two or three guys playing Solar Auxilia, two or three guys playing Mechanicum. Funny thing is, we had a guy that was playing, we had two guys playing Warhound Titans, one on day one and one on day three. Yeah, the Della um, Rosa's high. I don't one, think right? anybody. Yeah, I don't think anybody really felt like the Warhound Titan was oppressive. It never like, has been. Honestly, I've, the I've Warhound is really not that more good. Than one turn. Right. It's like really they not immediately that good. take all and, the uh, like every single anti tank weapon in the other army immediately goes for it, and it's not that powerful. Right. Um, we had one guy play uh, night a night household, and he did have a fire on. But then the rest of his stuff was like pretty standard. You know what I mean? Like the Perfiron's very good, but it's like, okay, there's a lot of good models in the game. So we're not going to be upset for bringing a, you know what I mean? You can't be upset for bringing one yeah. Perfiron when you can bring three. You know, you can't yeah, be that's upset so, for that's bringing one. Self regulated, right? isn't it? It's self regulated. And the fact you have to bring Armagers along with those as well, yeah. which just yeah. similar to Contemptors with some differences. I, and I think it's also important to point out too when we're talking about this is that we kind of set it up going into this, prepping the players that Ferex tables are not your standard game store tables when it comes to terrain, right? Like we do a lot of work, or a lot of work has gone into making them dense and making places mm-hmm. for infantry to fight and places for tanks to fight. And so you can bring these varied lists, these narrative fluffy lists, and you're not just marching across an empty board. Um, so that that might have also right, being shot played into it a lot by super heavy. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think. The, sorry, the legion that. that we saw no representation for is white scars. Only one white scars player in the Zomartalis portion. Wow, that's surprising because that that is a good legion. I think people just don't like paint white. And we really just have a plastic scimitars come yeah. out. And nobody can buy plastic jet bikes. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Give it a year. <laughs> Give it a year. Give it a year and there'll be white scars all over the place, I think. Although jet bikes allegedly aren't as good as what they used to be. I think you just have to use them a different way. What about some of the more common legions? Okay, um fists, very common. I think on day one, I only have like raw data for day one. We didn't count. We didn't really, honestly, to be completely frank, care really that much <laughs> to count them all up and like tally it all. But on day one, we had a guy that did it for us. So um, uh, Imperial Fists were definitely the most common. We had, a, but everything, everything, I think everything else was fairly well represented. We had a couple of people playing Iron Hands. We had a couple, like, I think I saw everything, you know? Um, Couple people playing Thousand Suns, which a lot of people generally regard to be the weakest Legion, I think, right now, which is kind of weird coming from 1.0. Um, yeah, I so feel like there Thousand were people, Suns. There was people Night- playing everything. Yeah, I feel like Thousand Suns, Night Lords, and Death Guard were leading the traitor side. I think so. Too. That's interesting. That's interesting. Now, we, there were the Sons of Horus always too. naturally. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be. Um, one of the questions that's always on people's lips when they go to kind of organized events is Fear of the Ancients. Although that seems to have died down a lot in the last couple of months, I've noticed. So um, were people running Fury? Did it have much of an impact? Or did no one bring it because they didn't want to be that guy? I didn't see. No one was running Fury of the Ancients in our event. And yeah. I think there was actually only one guy that ran it at all. 
over 200 yeah, players, it, and I think only one person had it in the teams. It's interesting. I, I think it's had its day. I think people did it. It was very much a novelty thing of, wow, look, this is what we can do. And I think people have now gone, yeah, maybe we shouldn't. And I think we, we, we're coming back to that self-regulation again that we saw a lot of happening in 1.0. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also just want to echo, too, that, you know, Lucas, I know, mentioned it when he was previously on, but we didn't have any restrictions for the Ferrix side. Like we very specifically left it all wide open so that people could like we wanted we want you to play narratively. And if you can narrative, I think that's the other thing. <laughs> it came up a couple of times in like previous discussions, but it's like if you're going to show up to the Ferrix event with a Fury list then you need a narrative reason why there's 14 to 18 contemptors on the, you know, in this particular spot doing this particular thing. And if you can write that story, I'll read it and sort of see if it, you know, passes muster and then we can have a conversation about it. But most of the people that I think would even humor running that list, aren't going to want to go through the trouble of that. Right. So um, I guess what I was going to say though, is we, you know, we left it open and honestly, um, it really wasn't an issue. In fact, we had some really wholesome, like wholesome Horus Heresy moments where um, I believe an Imperial Fist, you know, armored spearhead list mm-hmm. lined up against um, the perfect opponent on the perfect mission and ended the game at the at the bottom of turn one and immediately felt horrible about it, um, came over to Lucas and actually asked Lucas to have the traders choose their most anti-tank army to retaliate against the the over the overstretching of this armored spearhead that had just you know rolled through and, and caught a, a unit off guard. So even when players were winning sweeping victories, they were approaching us to help narratively correct the anomalies. Yeah, that's excellent. That was really that's cool. Awesome and- story. But it also shows that. If everybody's on board and knows what this event is, and like you can have these moments, you can have um, this kind of event. So long as everybody's on board, everybody is 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 on the same wavelength. Yeah, there's nothing better than than the narrative gaming. You can break right. it if you want, like, but the the fact that no one does is is just a testament to to the, the player base. I think. I, I wanted to say that I agree, and I wanted to say that. We had no restrictions and we were not disappointed. It wasn't something like, well, that was a mistake. You know what I mean? Like nobody really, we, I didn't feel like anyone really abused, um, abused the ability to bring anything that you wanted. Only thing I would say about like people's like general power levels is despite what I believe the power level of tanks to currently be, um, we did see a lot of armored spearhead. Now, a lot of those players were playing, like, armaments before tactical squads and rhinos. So they had, like, infantry, and they had... They, it wasn't just all tanks. But we did see, like, a couple people playing armored spearhead. And some people think that's a little bit of a feel-bad. But I I think... I, I don't necessarily think so. I think, like, the Predator is really easily dealt with by just a tactical squad getting into close combat with it. It's not, like, that hard to deal with a Predator. I understand it can be difficult to deal with 20 predators, but the same can be said for almost anything that you can spam that that much, right? So I think that out of I think the strongest lists that we had, like people that or I guess the 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 mo- I don't even want to say abusive because I really don't believe they were abusing it, but like the only thing that I think people would consider like kind of out of pocket was the amount of armored spearhead that we had. 
What are you that's interesting. Do? Something is always going to be the top. Right? I, I wonder like, if that's because of the sheer number of plastic kits that have come out in the last 10 months. I guarantee that just, it has something to do with it. Yeah, because people have just been, I've always wanted this type of army, but never been able to afford mm-hmm. those prices. Yeah. Right. And then you but also got to think about like, the box set is like, well, if you don't want Mark Six armor, you're buying tanks, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because that's what's available. And chances are you already have uh, all the infantry that you need. Um, yeah, the plast- uh, the the plastics have been a game changer, I think. Um, and well, not surprising. I don't think it's a controversial opinion. It's my hot take. Plastic gets great. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, no, it it has been. It, it has made things so much more accessible. Um, and and so much less annoying than those. Uh, those those old, those composite resin plastic like conversion kits like yeah the, those uh, are indicator laser destroyer I have two of those they were almost impossible to get everything to line up correctly so it's just so great to actually have have better options now um yeah, I agree okay so there's one thing I wanted to uh, mention before we uh close off, uh close off is uh, something that I thought was a a wonderful touch uh and and also uh, a way to thank you for letting me uh, get involved a little bit in the event is. Um, in you know, the, the reporting pages, when you have to report victories and losses, you had a section where you had a coolest moment section that you write in something really cool that happened, uh, which I thought was a really, really nice touch. And and um, so I read through them uh, and and you, you could just see the, I guess, the craziness of, of the whole event, how like mm-hmm. every single table seemed to have something notable and 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 cool to, to write about. So can you talk about the genesis of that particular feature uh, which I thought again, like added a lot to the the feel of of the campaign. Sure, you want to take it, Eric? Yeah. yeah. So I think this was again in our initial planning for Adepticon. You know, we were like, okay, we need to reinforce the narrative, reinforce the narrative, because I think for a lot of us people that have been playing in the Phoenix campaign for a while, we sort of approached the game with this mindset, and we thought it would be really cool. A, um, we didn't want to give um, prizes for you know guy that scored the most points ever and beat down every opponent. Um, so in replacement of that, we were like, well, we'll give best narrative moment. Well, how do you judge best narrative moment? Well, let's have the people write their own narrative stories. And then and then that even spawned a little further into um, actually the ones that ended up winning or ones that got flagged um, by me or one of the other um, fierce guys are actually going to be dropping as, or they're actually going to get fully written into the Phoenix story as little addendums between this event and our next event as sort of like intercepted com traffic reporting, you know, the reporting the, the, the interaction that happened on the table. And so those people and their armies will be, and their moment will be immortalized in our story. Um, and I think that's a really cool way to narratively engage players because I think, um, you know, a lot of us, I think, have an idea for an army. Some of us have sat down and wrote it out and or written it out. And and I think there's other people that could be those kind of players. They just haven't had the right introduction. And so by having that moment of like, OK, work with your opponent and figure out what was the coolest moment on the story and tell it in a really cool way and win a prize. Um, maybe that opens the door for some people to sit down and figure out their own head headcanon or, you know, even just give it some thought. But, um, you know, Ferex will always be a very narrative heavily, uh, a narrative heavy campaign. 
And um, I think the more players that we introduce to that and, and get involved, the more fun it is, right? That's excellent. I mean, and it's nice for people to look back on and go, that was my army that did that, or that was a guy I was playing against that did that to me. And people like having their five minutes in the spotlight, don't they, effectively? So we had JP do a dramatic reading of the one that he chose. So that was really fun. Yeah, very, very epic. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for letting me do that. I use my full um, my full narrative reading voice. Yeah, um, and the battle pose. I was surprised by the battle pose, man, or the power pose, you know? Yeah, I got to do the power. No, it's, it goes with it. You have to do the power pose. If you're going to do, if you're gonna do the, the intense voice, you have to do the power pose. It's the way it works. I don't make the rules. Um, but yeah, no, I'm actually really grateful uh, that that you guys let me uh, get involved a little bit and 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 help out where where I could. Uh, it was a it was a wonderful event because uh, I was bump, uh, bopping around the whole time, and and um, I was really um, I was really impressed. Uh, I hopefully I can get in next time. It doesn't sell out as quickly. Um, at least one of the days. Uh, it was really really uh, a great event, and you guys should be proud of having uh, run it. I, I didn't hear a single person say anything less than gl- glowing. Uh, reviews i don't think reviews the comments about the event yeah i i would agree obviously back in the uk i was keeping an eye on all the um posts coming up on facebook and on the adepticon heresy group and seeing all the faces coming out and it looked amazing the, uh, the standard of the armies the scenery the boards look fantastic so well done gents thank you yeah thank you a lot we uh i will say that that um it was very difficult to judge those best painted and most thematic awards there was so much good stuff that like I wanted to award I wanted to give an award to everybody. Like there was, you know what I mean? It, like every single army there was in like the top, you know, in the at the top tier. There's obviously yeah. some that are better than others, but like everybody is in the high percentile of like the, all the armies out there. It's not like you know, I don't I don't like to just trash anybody's hobby, even if they don't have a well-painted army. But everybody there had put so much thought into like, you know, there was nothing. I didn't see a single one, you know, where I was like, oh, you, your theme is winning. Or it's like you have like a theme. All these armies are very thematic and all had like, I thought, fit well together and all beautifully painted. And we had a couple guys with like great display boards that were really, really awesome. Um, you know, it's just the top strata of the hobby. I feel like, Oh, I think easily. Yeah. People kept walking in and out of the, uh, of the room. Cause we were right next to golden demon. Um, so people kept checking in what was going on and, and just being impressed by, by the look of, of, of the, the, the events that were happening in, in the heresy room. So again, wonderfully right. done. Uh, Lucas, Eric, is there anything that you want to plug real quick before? Because we already uh, plugged the, the dates for the next uh, Phyrexis, but anything you want to mention before we sign off? Yes, uh, I, I have two things I wanted to. One thing is uh, we ran a raffle in um, David Cohen's fiance's benefit. Her name's Hannah. She was there with us. Uh, we ran a raffle where we gave away a fully painted, um, magnetized, custom battle foam, all that. Horus Heresy Army? Dark Angels? Did I say Dark Angels? And we gave away a Legio Tempestus Reaver Titan, which JP actually helped us name, which was awesome. And we raised, including our merchandise sales, which we also donated, we raised over $10,000 in her benefit. What? That's incredible. So, That's fantastic. Yeah, it it yeah. was beyond our wildest expectations. Fantastic. Um, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, we, 
it was funny. I'll tell the story again. I told it on a couple other places, but um, when me and my wife went to buy the rolls of tickets, you know, at, at Walmart or whatever, we were buying the raffle tickets and they come uh, 2000 tickets to a roll. And I was like, do we need two rolls? And she was like, no way. And I was like, like, I know these guys. I think we need two rolls. So we bought two rolls. And if we had not, we would have run out. We That's actually sold so more than awesome. 2000 tickets. So that was awesome. And it wasn't just horse heresy guys. Like I wanted to thank everyone who donated. Like it was just guys walking around guys from the 40 K just everybody like, you know, was, was looking at these. Um, we were, it was funny. Anytime somebody would come up, you know, we, and we were just standing around, we'd be like, Hey, uh, you know, do you play horse heresy? And anybody that's like, well, no, I'm like, well, have I got the deal for you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you it do was now. Perf- JP, you saw it. It was the perfect, <laughs> it was the, I called it the perfect uh, Adepticon Horus Heresy army, right? Like, cause it was dark angels. You could play both sides. It had every option from super heavy tank all the way down to infantry. So you could play at any points level at any event. It was, mm-hmm. it's the skeleton key, right? So who, you'd be crazy not to try and get them on it. But it was and, and well the location over was 3,000 points. The location was great too, right next to Golden Demons. So everybody was like walking by it. Um, right. So that was really well done. Really smart to put it outside the room instead of inside. Um, but uh, who, who won at the end of the day? I don't even know. I know it wasn't I me. I don't know if. Was it me? It wasn't you. Fuck. Uh, yeah. I don't know if we want to. Uh, yeah, 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 you're right. Uh, yeah. Like we don't have the a, winners. Yeah, we yeah. don't have a consent for that. But uh, right. we're both extremely happy, though, to have won. Yes. Both were extremely happy. But and excellent. I was extremely happy that they were both willing to take the items with them, and I did not have to ship them. Yeah. So thank. Oh, that's just a bonus. Them. That's a problem. Yes. Every time Freddie Freddie does his Scandis uh, thing, mm-hmm. um, that he just gets absolutely murdered by like shipping uh, stuff across. Mm-hmm. When he had to ship the Reaver Titan, he was just begging me to take it back to Canada. For him. <laughs> it's like I can't. Yeah. Don't fit in my yeah. luggage, Freddie. Well, I just want, like I said, it's just been awesome that the horse heresy community has always been extraordinarily generous. Yeah. Um, Yeah. When it comes to stuff like this, like any raffle or charity event that I've ever seen them, they always, you know, come through and really like, you know, really make it happen. And that's really, that's great. That just shows like the, you know, the caliber of the community that we have is awesome. Absolutely. And when you go to an event like Adepticon, you really do feel the community it, it really is special and i'm so delighted to hear that it went that well i knew it went well i could see that i could see the, the the raffle tickets kind of accumulating in the boxes but um that's just great i'm really happy about it yeah yeah we were really pleased with that like i said beyond our expectations by far so uh the other thing i wanted to announce and kind of it, it's a soft announce we are going to be relaunching our Ferix merch store uh, we had a merch store before that was ran by a company called Teespring, and they suck. So we're changing it to something else. <laughs> yeah. So they use big cartel, and and we've been rather I've been rather happy with it. Yeah, Teespring yeah, decided I do. not to not to. Sh- I'm not going to trash them too much, but they decided not to ship any of our event merch before the event, even though people placed it months like a month out. So, um, yeah. <laughs> they were fired before we even left for Adepticon. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I can cut that out if you want, but um, it's up to you. <laughs> nah, nah, it's fine. We can trash All right. them. They were publicly trashed these yeah. There we go. You're on I really notice. like how you guys. Yeah, I really like how you guys have done, like, uh, you know, ethically 
sourced items and all of that. I don't know that we're able to do that at this point, but I do want to give you guys a shout out that that is, I really do enjoy that. It's like a, <laughs> it's a union made product. Yep. It's uh, it's it's a small yeah. uh, like uh, all the stuff was made for like a small business. I'm pretty sure they're union. If not, they're just too small for a union kind of thing. I think there's like five employees. Right. But the thing is, here's the thing: there's a trade off, right? Like if you're you, it requires a huge initial investment. Like, can you sell a thousand dollars with the t-shirts? Because otherwise, you're sitting on a thousand dollars of fucking t-shirts for a while. Yeah, right. right. And so there there's, and a, there's so- a major trade off uh, of of the two because uh, it requires all that like uh, upfront uh, money. Absolutely. We've, we've investigated some like options for, um, instead of having to stock, you know, if you, you guys only have one print of shirt, right? We have two, uh, two different shirts. Yeah. There's the hoodie and the shirt. Yeah. There's the hoodie and the shirt. There's another, uh, there's another shirt that we, uh, um, okay. There's two shirts, but if you have like, imagine if you have even five yeah. shirt designs, oh, no, no, yeah. how many shirts you actually need to bring with you. So we've actually been talking a little bit maybe about, um, Pressing the shirts on site. Oh shit, that's not a bad. And idea. then you only have to bring one inventory of shirts, but then you can bring a bunch of transfer films. That's. But yeah. we don't know. Right now, we're going to be doing print on demand. It, it it that way we don't have to purchase inventory. Because the other frustrating thing is trying to guess, like, okay, what kind of sizes do you need? Because uh, I remember when I went right. to the store, and so I, like, what's a normal mm-hmm. spread? He said you need a lot, like uh, a lot of mediums uh, and, and larges, and I wouldn't really bother with the two uh, uh, X and three X. And it's just like, oh, I don't know if you know this <laughs> yeah. community. Yeah, well, you don't know this community. <laughs> it's where you're yeah, I was gonna say in, in this community. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think you should. Yeah, I think I didn't print a, I didn't print a single small, this. nor have I been asked for one. <laughs> Right. Yeah. But again, that's the trade. That's a trade-off you make. You you might wind up with uh, with stock, mm-hmm. and it requires upfront costs. So I don't begrudge anybody for going um, uh, the route of like the print order ones, uh, because I think that is actually a, a good sol- solution to the thing. Um, I decided to do something different. I don't think one is better than the other. The last thing I just want to shout out, just to to write it out with Lucas. Um, for those of you who want to follow us going forward, check us out at linktree. dot com slash Phyrix. P-H-Y-R-I-X. That has links to all of the audio narratives, our Discord, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, everything. Um, Discord's really popping off now. We're there answering questions. If you have questions about the story or you have questions about, you know, you want to have your list reviewed by other people in our in our in our group. Um, swing by. We'd like to have you. Excellent. And that link will be in the show notes. So awesome. Just like to thank uh, Eric Lucas. You guys are awesome, random, wonderful event. Thank, thank you very you. much, guys. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day. Dominating the hall were eight warlord titans arrayed around a giant octet graven into the floor. The symbol had been cut half a meter deep into the decking, shearing through wiring and pipes under the plating with a precise, neat carelessness for their function. The Titans stood inactive at the points on the Octet. They did not appear to have been tampered with, but in the volcanic atmosphere they radiated a sense of divine potency that Hartek was sure owed nothing whatsoever to the Machine God. From one wall, Nuncio Dolores stared at him with hungry eyes, like a trusted animal companion gone wild. Hartek and the others were led to posts set between the feet of each Titan, from which dangled chains of blackened metal. Scratches in the soot coating them showed a pale gold, suggesting they were of brass. The drums were the discharge of giant guns. They were the pounding of axes on shields. They were rocks smashing into skulls. Hartek let himself be chained to the post between Nuncio Dolores' legs. With a curious sense of detachment, 
He wondered why he did not resist, but by the time the sluggish thought had wound itself through the folds of his brain, he was held fast, arms crossed above his head. Nuncio Dolores' torso projected over him, its massive chin a boulder held in place by some tenuous force on the edge of breaking. Its weapons framed the hall in a murderer's embrace. What purpose the room had before was difficult to say with any certainty. It was vast, it seemed lost in a confusion of pipes and smoke, and that suggested an assembly yard or a manufactorum for larger components of Gardaman Hub's output. It could have been a foundry or a smeltery, but though it was equipped with eight giant crucibles of molten metal so hot they glowed orange, they seemed too primitive to have been used in the making of Voidcraft. They were crude things, the tools of steam engineers, fired by mounds of coal and mounted on cast iron carts on iron rails. Huge banners so caked in gore their designs were invisible, shifted in the updrafts coming off the liquid. Small figures moved everywhere between giant machines. Many were clad in the black of the new Mechanicum, but the majority were in the blood-purple robes of cult acolytes, and their number only seemed to increase as Hartek drifted in and out of the moment. How did it come to this? thought Hartek. A moment of desperate clarity settled on him when he saw the situation as it was. Once, he had fought for the Imperial Truth. Now, he was enthralled to a primitive cult. A profound dismay had him, then blew away, cobweb fine, as he slipped and fell into blood-warm torpor. The promise of power beckoned. The brazen horns sang louder in his mind. The drums thundered out their conflicting barrage. Hartek's head pounded with every sounding, like it too were a drum, and his heart also. His eyes swam, refusing to focus, and when they did he was not sure of what he looked on. Reality smeared, flickered, was replaced by dark images of black flames and screeching monsters. He tried to blink this vision away, but it would not go. When it disappeared and the hall returned, Apostle Vorjuk Kral was suddenly in the room. Perhaps Hartek had passed out from the heat and come around. The creatures could have been some sort of drug-induced dream, for by now he was certain he had been poisoned somehow. Some time had passed. Kral wasn't there. Then he was, dominating everything around him. He was the sole transhuman in the hall, towering over the unmodified humans and the new Mechanicum alike. Burnished armor reflected the glow of molten metal. The flames painted on his shoulder plates danced with a life of their own. A line of chained, naked slaves, painted red with blood from their shaven heads to the soles of their feet, were led towards the crucibles. They were ecstatic, wailing and singing, their eyes so wide the whites were visible from all the way across the hall. Kral was to perform the ritual, but not alone. Artem Protos had also appeared from nowhere, and was working his way around the circle with a band of lesser tech priests. They sang hard hazanas in Benhara Kant to the God of Blood. The air thickened, clouds of red smoke spilled from their censers. Jabbering cyber-constructs wheeled over them like vultures, drizzling vitae from fanged maws. It took the tech priests an age to pass around the great circle, but in no time at all it seemed, Protos was standing in front of Hartek. The tech priest stopped his procession and approached the princeps. Hartek raised his head with great difficulty. It felt as if it were full of lead. Protos watched him with interest as he forced his tongue to move. What is this sorcery? He asked. His words were lumpen, poorly formed, barely intelligible. But Protos understood. It is not sorcery, not quite. This god does not approve of magic tricks. Call it an invitation instead, said Protos. All done to the most stringent scientific principles, naturally. Hartek's head fell forward. Protos reached out a metal hand to steady it. The prosthetic was so hot, Hartek's skin sizzled. You were the most difficult to convince. I am glad you saw sense, he said, 
power of unimaginable potency will soon be yours. All you must do is bear a little pain. Hartek tried to speak, but his words would not form his brain, let alone his mouth. What was done on Astagar will be done again. This time, it will be better. Our two gods working in one mechanism, with but a few souls required to seal the bargain. He let Hartek's head drop. All for your benefit, of course. The gift of iron, of brass, and of blood is yours. I am almost envious. Droning chants receded. Hartek's mind slipped further into redness. The horns blared constantly. The ring of blades filled his ears. The next he knew he was surrounded by the thunder of drums and a massive armored hand gripped him by the head. For the glory of the pantheon undivided, we beseech you, Korn, provide us with the might of your right arm. More words followed. Knives flashed. The patterns on Hartek's skin were renewed as his flesh was opened up and his own blood overwrote the flaking vitae painted there earlier. Hartek's body screamed, but the pain was distant, and from a far battlefield he looked on his weakness and despised it. Time blinked. Giant machines around the hall whooped with tortured thunders. Lightning streamed upward. Hartek was shaking from fatigue and loss of blood. The drums reached a brief crescendo. Chanting scaled exalted heights. Crawl, now far away again, brandished his maul. It dripped with gore. Teams of sweating slaves tugged enormous chains, and the crucibles rolled to the edge of the octet, hit wedges, and toppled forwards under the force of their own momentum, pouring oceans of spinning metal into the design. The symbol acted as a giant mold. Surging waves of metal rushed down the arms, meeting in the middle with a loud slap of liquid. Droplets burst upwards, showering over the worshippers. They screamed in holy agonies as their robes burst into flames. Kral dropped the head of his maul to the deck with a clang. With a perfunctory brutality, the lines of slaves were shoved into the incandescent metal by the singing cultists. They toppled in neat lines, shrieking out devotions as they plunged under. They rose up, flailing, screaming for real now, human torches whose dying wails joined the chorus of insane worship. The sacrifices were the final act. From high above, a furious voice roared, coming closer rapidly as it falling from a far-off heaven. Composed of inchoate sounds, the roaring was nevertheless possessed of sentience, enraged against its summoning. Another howling voice joined it, followed by a third, and fourth, until eight bellowing demigods joined the choirs of humans screaming out their dedication to the god of blood and war. The roaring descended until it drowned out all else, but Hartek saw nothing. Red lightning sheathed across the hall. Something heavy impacted on Nuncio Dolores, and the machine sagged with the blow. Burning heat blasted from the titan, immolating the banners arranged behind it. One by one, the other roars cut out, and the titans were bowed by invisible impacts. The shouting, drumming, blaring, singing praise of Korn lost its final pretense at musicality, breaking apart into a discordant cacophony of screams and shouts. Worshippers turned upon one another. Knives flashed. Blood hissed on the cooling octet. Hartek's body filled with uncontrollable anger. His muscles swelled. His thoughts fled yanking against the chains that bound him until his wrists wept blood. He howled, and in a new, demonic voice, Nuncio Dolores howled with him. All right, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is the second part of our series on Titan Death, the Battle of Beta Garmin. Um, so where did we leave off last time? What was happening? Part one is a big section, isn't it? It is big. Yeah, oh, part, wait, one, hold, part one is a... Before we do that, do you have a, a deficient synopsis for uh, part two? Ooh. Do you have something? This is a this is a really short section, isn't it? it yeah. Is, but so, got it. I've got it. You got it. Victory. Yep. 
Victory Demand Sacrifice. Oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I like it. All right. So where do we yeah. leave off? So part one is very much an introducing both the Legios, isn't it? Legio Volper, who yep. will become the very core Lots of world building. Legio. Lots of world building. Uh, Corn becomes quite a big part in World Two, uh, in Part Two, as we as we're going to see later on in this part. Um, and we also have Legia Solaria, female only Legio, very light Legio, focusing on warhounds and reavers with one man of warlords or a couple of warhounds of war, warlords in there. Um, they're very much opposite to Tract. There's a prior relationship between the two Legios and between the two main characters. Uh, and it's focused on the Beta Garmin campaign. Beta Garmin is a nexus of warp conduits. It provides the last safe route from Terra from the Northern Imperium. Uh, the Warmaster has to blast through it to get to Terra, unless he wants to leave his flank and his rear exposed. So the loyalists know this is a place not to stop Horus. They know they can't prevent him from getting to Terra. But this is a place to make him bleed and to use up his men, his munitions, his troops, his supplies, and all those bits that he needs to be a successful campaign. So the Beta Garmin campaign has been happening pretty much since after Isband 5 um, and has very much been a consistent throughout the war. But it's very much a war of the Imperial Army and now the Titan Legios being sent there because you don't want engine war on terror because it will mm -hmm. devastate too much of the planet. Yep. So, um, uh, Astartes are mainly uh, being kept in reserve. Um, of course they will be, they are being used obviously, but yeah, this is yeah. a, uh, this is a human and God engine war. Um, yes. so you got, uh, you got, uh, you got the two sides. I mentioned earlier, yeah. uh, I mentioned earlier that the old goblin army, I don't know why I'm, I'm, uh, why I'm thinking about this, but, uh, the old goblin army, used to be able to uh uh you could only take goblins and a giant right that yeah, was the only like other option from the uh <laughs> you could take any orcs but you could take a giant so yeah which i think was a that, that's kind of a joke but like that's this is what this is yeah this, this is it it's very much a here's a last gun off you go by the way you're supported by this god engine of war yeah. that carries <laughs> nothing in nuclear yeah. no no that's it um so there's actually in part two one very tiny strand, and then we've got two conflicts and one setting up for part three, haven't we? Yeah. Maybe we, we do best to start with the uh, Primarchs because uh, it, it kind of, they only hit one scene, but it kind of shows you yeah. what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, because it's quite keen, isn't it? So the Primarchs involved are the Khan and Singinuous. It's interesting that um, Dawn dispatches those two without what appeared to be, at first, a clear plan. One of the key elements we've seen from the Beating Garvin campaign in part one is there's no central control. Now, for the Warmaster's forces, that's perfectly fine because all he has to do in Beating Garvin is to keep it open. For the Loyalists who want to hold Horus and the traitor forces at Beating Garvin, they need a coherent plan of defence. But what we saw in part one is there is no coherent plan of defence. That command is not decent is completely decentralized, that it's broken down into very similar to what we'll see in 40k Imperium, where you've got various different factions vying for control and not working alongside each other particularly well. How do the Primarchs change this, JP? Or 
what what is the Primark's impression when they arrive? Well, they they realize that <laughs> it's like the scene from um uh from Apocalypse Now when they get to that uh, that base that's constantly uh, uh being attacked. It's like no one's in command here, and it's it's kind of it's kind of that. It's because it, it, what winds up happening is it's it's a great muster. Everybody's being sent there from every different direction on both sides, and as far as the 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 imperial side is concerned. You have all these different commanders that are showing up and and saying that they're in charge, and then you have another commander that's saying, "No, I'm in charge," and and, and there's no one's in charge, so it's utter chaos. Yeah. People are just being thrown in, in into battle without any without any greater strategy than to 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 fight the enemy and uh, uh, to kill the enemy. And the the, the legios aren't helping. The titan the titan legios are not helping because they're no, all doing their own like, thing. Absolutely, and that's explained very much in part one where. The legios will only accept authority from Mars or the head of, at this point now, the Adeptus Mechanicus or a Primarch. Anyone else, they won't follow unless they are a proven capable leader. But what was really interesting in this chapter is why the Primarchs have only just arrived. And it's very clear that they've been delayed in the warp. Because yep. one of the first things they do when they make contact, and it's, and it's St. Guinness who's asking for this, is asking, how late are we? And when they get the, the, the timings correct, because we know warp travel can take either moments or weeks, sometimes months, years, decades, that they are several weeks late. So clearly the intention was for the Primarchs to arrive and take control of this situation much earlier. The fact that they haven't, has allowed the campaign to degenerate really into the War Master's favour because they, they will favour that very much chaotic, for want of a better word, warfare. Mm. So the first thing Singinius and Vakan are going to do is to very much assume control. Now, I think it's more down to Singinius, isn't it? Because the first thing Khan says is, I'm off, I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is very much what we... <laughs> he literally says something like, I don't want to be involved in this. <laughs> yeah. You can, if you want to sort this out, you can sort it out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to do my thing. Yeah, I, I'm going to strike at my targets that I choose to strike at. And what's really interesting, completely the opposite to what we see in the Siege of Terror books, and obviously this isn't spoilers for what happens in the Siege, is that Singinius recognizes that is the best thing for the Scars to do, that he will contrast the Khan's judgment and just let him off the hook and just do whatever damage they can. Now, what was also interesting is both of Primarchs say, we know we're only here for a short time before we have to return to Terra. So clearly, they're only there until the situation is untenable, and then they're going to retreat back to Terra. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, that's the situation as the Primarchs uh, show up. And and I like uh, that they mentioned just how much damage the Red Tear has taken over the last little while. Like, yeah. Because well, the... Because Gullman didn't manage to fix the whole thing. Because it was pretty much dry docked for like two years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And Imperium Secundus, and he still it still had scars from uh, from um, uh, from the Battle of uh, 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 Cygnus, and 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 then you know getting to Terra caused you more. So the the thing is 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 pretty bloodied. Yeah, and. That's an interesting comparison with the Vengeful Spirit and uh, the Herefnical, isn't it? Russ's one, Russ's Gloriana, which we've seen in previous stories, especially Wolfsbane, actually how badly damaged these things are now. 
that they're not operating at peak efficiency, but they are still having a bit of an impact, aren't they? So yeah, it's good to see that that continuation that things are breaking down, things are not what they should be. So let's talk lead Joe's. Who do we want to start with? Solaria probably has the more straightforward storyline in this one, doesn't it? Yeah. So should we well, should we start with Solaria? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one thing that we need to uh, mention is the sort of the structure. So in, in part one, you learn about the conflict between um, Solaria uh, and um, and Volpa, how they hate each other, and why. So you learn that in the first ones, and that they were not close. But they, they they fought well together before, and then that thing happened at um, what's the name of the world? Bifex. Bifex. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know, um, that, that, uh, I love how you said that thing that happened. You mean the murdering the, the of innocent that, civilians? Yeah, the kerfuffle. <laughs> that, that thing. Uh, the that, disagreement. That small incident. Yes, but the murdering of a hive. Unnecessary. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, 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 but uh, anyways, they had a they had a disagreement. They didn't they didn't uh, see eye to eye, if you will, about um, murdering an entire civilian population of millions of people, uh, and and so they they've disliked each other since then. Um, and now we, uh, so you learn that they, they, they fight against each other, they despise each other. Um, and you also, an uh, important uh, detail that we get into a little bit in part two is that as, uh, uh, Asha, which is the, um, which becomes the princeps of, or will become the princeps uh, of, uh, Solaria. Uh, she had a child with, uh, Hertek, who is a princeps, uh, in, um, in Volpa. And, and so they were, again, there, there's a complex, uh, a relationship between the two, so they find part one and part two. Uh, we split them up. Um, yeah, and 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 so it, they're kind of doing their own thing separately in this one. But again, this causes a lot of. It comes back a lot that it's like they wish they were fighting each other. Yeah, absolutely. Both Legios are now in a, a campaign which both suits them, doesn't it? Yeah. So Volpa are on Beta Garmin Five, where they were originally that orbital ring. So they're still fighting over that and we'll come back to Volper on that ring shortly. Solaria are now on Beta Garmin 3, which is a much more open campaign. They're they're yep. fighting alongside Legio Defensor. They're protecting a, a, a major hive complex on that planet. Legio Defensor are in the hive because that suits their heavier engines, whereas Legio Solaria are wide-ranging and hunting down the traitor forces on what is basically like a large desert isn't it but every so often the desert floods from an ocean yep so that's going to become street key so both legios are now where we'd expect to be seeing them aren't they we, we're now seeing them at their at their tactical best and with uh, with no uh small amount of um again of disagreement um because it takes like a month this is another thing that i love in this book it shows you the complexities of um of of inter legio politics yeah because it took like a month to actually negotiate the terms of the next phase of the battle uh for uh solaria and and the decision that they were going to uh go to another theater and fight with a defensor uh so this takes a while uh again esha is incredibly angry it's like we should be fighting uh volpa right now we can we can take them we can we can defeat them we could kill them um and and the the the, the princeps of who's dying and and is will soon uh, give up her place to esha uh, it's like no i made my decision we're not this um, we're not suited to this kind of 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 war so we're going to do what we should be doing and we're going to go to a theater that 
where our our particular um, talents will be better suited. Yeah, which is Beach Garden Three, and yeah. that's where we, that's where we pick up part two, isn't it? Because yep. we start with a single warhound out on a scouting mission. Finally, we're seeing a warhound doing what it's supposed to be doing, and they're actually scouting around a location called Hive Jinsu. Now, this gives you an, another sense of the scale of this conflict because this entire hive, and those of you who played Necromander know how large hive cities can be. I think it mentioned something that it had a population of 30 million people. Oh, no, I think it was 500. I, I think it was 500 million. Was it? It's a stupidly large it, it's, it's, it's a lot. Around, isn't it? <laughs> the yeah. important thing is it's a lot. And the entire hive has been collapsed into the ocean and they they describe that the hive is now acting like a blast furnace so the actual structure of the hive is on fire but because how it's constructed that fire is just constantly feeding itself and getting hotter and hotter so much so that they mention even the metal is burning oh, yeah, it's yeah. on a coast it's, <laughs> it's on the coast as well um and what this warhound is scouting for is something we've been wanting to see in at for ages which is the lightest scout class of Titan, the Rapier, which is a single weaponed Titan with only three crews. It's got one Princeps and two Moderati, plus the Engine Seer as well. Um, but they're going out looking for it because what we what we learn from this event is all the Legio Defense or Scout Titans have been disappearing. They've been going off-grid and not reporting in. So Solaria has sent out Warhounds to find it and discover what's going on. They do discover it. Unshockingly, it's being destroyed. Um, but they don't know by what, do they? They know it's being killed by heavy weapons fire. Something big. So it's, It is something big, but they don't know what. They're not sure exactly how it's being destroyed. So that's the kind of moment of mystery we've got surrounding it. That then jumps us on to Escher. And one of the things we've got here is she's leading a, a small battle group, isn't she? About three or four manipoles, I think she describes that as. And they're out in the desert and they're doing a, a wide range of patrol dealing with any enemy troops that turn up and any enemy reinforcements trying to break through to, I think it's Jonsu Hive, isn't it? I think it is. Honsu, Honsu Hive, yep. isn't it? And she suddenly receives a call from Lijo Command that she's needed in a meeting. And this is one of the things I like about Titan Death as well, is we get to see the internal workings of a Reaver. Because basically she halts the mana pool, she locks Marie, her Reaver down, and she goes through and she joins one of those hololith communications. And they've actually got the, one of those hololith um, projectors in the back of a Reaver. So those of you who know the Reaver model know that's that large engine compartment to the back. Basically, it describes her climbing out of the princeps chair, and she describes how complicated that is, even for someone experienced, to make sure she doesn't kick a moderati in the head as she's climbing out of the chair. But she goes through, and she, then she has to resettle in, and it projects a, a meeting between several princeps of Slaria, plus the seniorest princeps of Defensor and the Imperial Army Commander of Honsu Hive. I don't know about you, JP, but I'd really like this because it gives us a bit of an idea about how they operate large-scale engagements or large-scale operations involving Titans. One of the more interesting things here is that you get an idea of what's happening. Because a lot of uh, the battles that are described in these books, it's unclear. 
like where things are, what's the strategy, what's the plan. And, and, and for a campaign that's sanguineous, disgustingly, uh, or, or looks at with disgust at like the chaos of it and the fact that no one seems to be in charge, you get a good idea of what, what people are doing and why. So the idea here yeah. is that they, they've seen a, a problem in their their deployment. Not just for deployment, is it? It's also the fact that the scouts are going missing. And most of the scouts that are going missing seem to be to the south of the hive. So yeah. what what's their decision from that? What what do they assume from that? Well, they figure that essentially the enemy is preparing an offensive to the south, and that could roll up their flank. So yeah. they decide and, that... and who's speedily tipping the deployment? Which oh, legion the... has just has just arrived? Oh, uh, it's um, the, the, the Death Stalkers. Oh no, that's late. That's on the other planet. It's legion. Oh, yeah. So the the Iron Warriors have just made. Oh yeah, okay, sorry, sword, haven't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Iron Warriors are preparing a um, I guess a firebase. Uh, they're 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 digging in. They're doing what they do best. They're digging in, set, set, uh, setting, um, uh, and and they're void shielded, right? Like the the landing zone yeah. with Iron Warriors preparing is void shielded, so they can't um, they can't destroy it. And essentially, they're sighting artillery. They're sighting their big pieces, and I'm assuming things like Ordnatus or like some crazy, uh, like like those big missiles. What are they? Basilisk uh, missiles? Like I'm assuming like big stuff. Death, the, the death strikes, yeah, the yeah, death, death strikes. strikes, yeah. So yeah. Um, I'm so they're sighting this stuff, and the, the problem they have is if you let the Iron Warriors. Uh, complete their 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 their, their, their operational base because uh, what they're doing is they're 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 destroying um, enemy artillery right now. Uh, also, yeah. enemy loyalist artillery, and if you let them do this, eventually they'll have no more um, uh, no more batteries, and then you've lost the battle. The, the imperial commander calls them like describes them like a tick, doesn't he? He says once they're bedded in, you cannot get them out. Yep. So yeah, so it's a so it's a problem, and it looks like there's an offensive coming from the south. Um, so they redeploy uh, Solaria to the south in force. Again, not what yeah. they should be doing, not what they're best at. This isn't a battle no, line legio, uh, it, but it's the number of titans. So later on, we discover that there's forty titans put to this defensive for south. That's a considerable part because in part one, we learned that they had less than a hundred to start with. We know they've already lost some beta gun three. So let's let's assume they've taken five, six engine kills already. So that means over half of their deployment are now on this southern end or this southern flank. They're also going to be supported by two other elements, aren't they? One is House Procon V, which we saw them last time acting as point defense on the container ships. Yeah, these are knights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they, you know. How fantastic is this series when you get knights acting as points defense on void going craft? <laughs> I know, so rad. It's, it's brilliant. But yeah, so, and the thing she said, I think they mentioned as well, the, uh, the great mother, the seniorest princeps of Legia Slaria said, it's the whole of House Procon V as well. I think they, 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 they deployed all of them. And then they also said that they're going to be joined by the, the Fasadian heavy infantry. Now they do point out, don't they, that, this planet is not entirely good for human life, that you have to be heavily armoured to be able to survive out there. This this has got a corrosive atmosphere. It's not open void, but it has got a corrosive atmosphere, and it's not very good for humans. But the Fasadian heavy infantry are carapace armoured. They've got full face helms, so they will be able to operate in that environment. 
So they said with between the Legio, the Knight Household, and this heavy infantry from the Imperial Army, that should be enough to blunt the attacks of anything from the south. Sounds a good plan, doesn't it? That sounds like a great plan. What could possibly Absolutely. go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? We then get a cutscene, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's to a poor Imperial Army trooper. Yeah, it gets dark. You know, last yeah. episode we were talking about how things got dark when Solario was starting to shoot <laughs> guided missiles, literally human human brain guided missiles. Yeah. Like they literally yeah. took this... a human brain and put it into a, a, a one-use uh, weapon. Yeah. We love this universe. Yeah. It gets, so, it gets darker we... still. Absolutely. So we get an Imperial Army trooper wake up in the dark, doesn't know where he is, starts scrabbling around. And another voice tells him to be quiet. If he's not quiet, they'll come. And he's like, well, who are you? And he starts, to, he pretends he's an officer, doesn't he, to try and get information out of the guy. Yeah. And the guy's like, you're not an officer. You haven't told me off once. Yeah, I, I haven't called you, sir, you, once. Sir. And, and you've, you haven't mentioned it, so you're not an officer. Yeah. And he's like, you have to be quiet. They'll come, they'll come. And then suddenly the door opens. And what's in the doorway? We have three Astartes. Yeah, not just any Astartes. And the, no. Sons of Horus. And they look around and they just point in and go, we're going to take him, 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 and him. And they just walk over the bodies, don't they? So these other Imperial Army troopers who are still unconscious, it describes the Sons of Horus just walking over them, breaking hands, breaking bones as they walk over, just don't care. And they literally just pick up these guys by the arms or the legs, don't they, and just drag them out. But where are they going? And it's clear, what I really like is it's clear the Sons of Horus hating doing this job aren't they oh yeah they clearly feel that they've got better things to be doing with their time but where do they go jp oh they go to a uh i guess a mad scientist's lab is the best way to explain it well this is it this is entirely up your street here isn't it this <laughs> this yeah. is classic classic horror trope isn't it oh yeah and oh yeah it's uh sometimes sometimes you get a feeling of the joy that the writer took in writing a certain scene. And it's often these kinds of scenes, which, yeah, <laughs> which I have some questions, <laughs> but anyways, uh, so you have a scenery, um, uh, you have a scenery chewing villain here. You have um, uh, clearly a, a room full of um, failed experiments. So they, they stick him in there. And, and, and so they pick, um, what was his name? Better. Beta? Bach. Bach. Thank you. So they pick yeah, Bach, Bach isn't it? which is our yeah. viewpoint character here, um, and 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 so and you have the mechanic of depth that was uh, talking to Hartek, um, Hertek, in yeah. the, who's trying to you know push him towards the Blood God. And it was Chrissy too. It's like you're Dark Mechanicum. It's like that's what our enemies call us. We call ourselves uh, yeah. New Mechanicum. And it's the classic evil scientist trope, isn't it? That he comes across so polite and he really seems like nice, yeah. and yeah, absolutely. He's clearly Don't worry, enjoying we're his gonna, work. We're not gonna if you just you know lie down quietly. It's not. It's only gonna hurt for a second. It'll be fine. You know, yeah. You're gonna be good. Don't we, worry about it. Yeah, it, it's, it's the classic mad side. Little freak, little sting. It'll be all over. Don't worry. Don't worry. You're doing it for good reasons. <laughs> So, yeah, and they, he's explaining the whole process as well, isn't he? Yeah, it's it's so they they, they, they strap him to the table and then they in, um they install some kind of like thing to his uh to his to his head to his like brainstem and and it, it will make him it'll mess with his loyalty. So then they ask him, "Who do you serve?" I serve the War Master. 
So they're making, they call them neuro slaves. Yeah. And it, I like how they describe the technology because they describe it's the same technology we use in our skitari to be able to control our skitari. So, like when in Wolfsbane, when um, the Magus Dominus in Wolfsbane is controlling all the skitari and all the thalaxi off her own mind impulse units, it's the same technology. However, the reason they're not using it in Skitari is because they haven't got time to augment them all. Yeah, so, so they just go, oh, we'll just, just stick the mind control unit. Just the in. loyalty part. Just the loyalty part, the mind yeah. control part. That's it. That, Good enough. That's it. And he says, oh, you're the final test subject. Don't worry. And it works. And he goes, excellent. And then his sons of Horus go, Good. We'll start bringing them in 200 at a time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, okay. Now let's go back to our, let's go back to uh, Solaria because uh, that cutscene was quite important. Also, delightful. I love it when they yeah. uh, delve more into the, the the horrible aspects of the universe, of which there are many. There are many. It and it just proves the point. Wars. Yeah, it just proves the point that we've made several times before that neither side is the good side. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's make this quite clear. Neither side is a good side. So, Legion Solaria have gathered en masse, haven't they? So there's 40 battle engines ranging from warlords through to warhounds. They've been given orders that only half of them to be active at a time because that enables half a battle group to be watching out for the enemy. They're waiting for the enemy to come from the south. That allows the other half to rest because one of the other things we saw earlier is how tired all the princeps and moderates are. They're literally on the edge of exhaustion, aren't they? It's only the fact that they are part of the manifold and the machine spirit of the Titan is keeping them running. But even that is tiring in itself. So they're on the edge of exhaustion. This is the typical thing that we see in a lot of war movies and novels that troops are on the edge. They need that rest and they need that rotation out of line. And the Legio just hasn't had it. House Procon V have all arrived as well. So the entire household is there en masse. All they're waiting for are the Fasadian heavy infantry to arrive. Our title character. Um, Escher is woken with a start. And I like this bit. So she's rested in princess seats, isn't she? And someone wakes her up by shaking her on the shoulder. But because she's half asleep in the manifold, she envisions it as a giant hand shaking the Titan. Mm. And the Titan yes, reacts yes, with her. I, it's an, it goes back to what we were talking about in part one, about that symbiosis between the princeps and the Titan itself, that it, they merge. They find it difficult to separate one another. But she's woken up and she's told they're en route. We've had we've had the the signals that the Fasadian heavy infantry are en route, and they've given them a landing area, haven't they? They've given them a landing area to deploy all their dropships in. So our Escher, she gets up, she goes through to the back, and she's looking at the tar at the the tracking scope, isn't she? And above the hive world, above Beta Garment uh, Five, there is a void war going on as well, isn't there? there there's Loyalist forces and traitor forces in orbit. And as the Fasadian heavy dropships are moving in, a small squadron of traitor ships goes off to intercept them. You'd expect that. And the other moderati are also looking at this image and they don't see anything wrong. But the more Escher looks at it, she realizes something's not quite right. Something's not happening, which is matching the expectations jp can you remember what it is well yeah they're 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 coming in at a at an angle which doesn't look like 
they're going to attack the enemy. Yeah. It's 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 the wrong angle. It looks like it seems like they're coming right at us. Yeah. That couldn't and be. And suddenly she realizes oh, it's a trap. <laughs> and this first part of this of this main battle is I thought it was absolutely fantastic because you have that absolute panic of not just troops waking up and realizing we need to fight, but they're also having the other struggle of we need to wake up the Titans because they're powered down. They're only on minimal power. And the description of her struggling to rouse the Titans machine spirit and for all the moderati to get all the weapons online, power up voids, because they're all just like voids down because they're not at risk of combat. And then suddenly you've got these orbital lances coming down across the battlefield as well. Think about that scene in the um, opening trailer for Heresy V2 that we saw last year where that warlord gets hit by an orbital strike. This is going on. So the Legio is having to break formations as well, isn't it? The House Procon V is scattering because you don't want to be a knight chassis and be hit by an orbital strike. And the description, because look, they're on this desert, aren't they? And it talks about the sand being turned to glass by the heat. What did you think of this opening few moments of the battle? Oh, it's pretty nasty. And then the dropships start coming in, and then they realize, ah, oh, we gotta, we gotta blast these dropships. And again, on the other side, the, the you have to understand, you know, you can just imagine the horror of uh, you're going straight into a wall of uh, volcano cannons. So there's like yeah. five dropships, I believe, but they're huge. Uh, they they yeah. have um, like they, they describe, I think, uh, the the the. Pretty much the drop ramps are like 500 meters like long. Yeah, they also describe one of, the, one of the leg pistons as being bigger than a warhound. Yeah, so they well. come so down. They and, that real... and, and a few of them get, get blasted uh, from, uh, from, again, the surprised Legion Solaria, but a lot of them, like most of them actually manage to drop and, and, and disgorge yeah. their cargo. And it's just, there's not even any armor. It's just like guys with the last guns. And, yeah. and, and they, uh, they're just picking shots off, aren't they? And yeah. the Legio Solaria warlords, they're backing off and they're firing their volcano cannons and their laser blasters at the orbital ships. They're firing at the traitor vessels. And they actually take two out, don't they? They actually yeah. do... They take out two vessels and they disable a third and force it to move off into higher orbit. So, but as soon as troops start landing... They have to focus on those, and House Procon V also wade into the infantry as well, don't they? So you've got this scene of chain, the Reaper chain blades hacking through infantry. But what does Escher realize is happening? Yeah, they're um, the, the 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 plan isn't even just last because they keep charging the Titans. They're trying to get on it onto them. Yeah, but it's not just a case that they're trying to board the Titans. They're also setting up the kill box, aren't they? Yeah. So you've got other dropships landing further out and creating a, a longer perimeter, and that's where all the heavy armor is. So and, all the heavy vehicles, and she does point out, doesn't she, that a, a normally a squadron of tanks is not dangerous, but massed tanks will threaten even a Titan eventually. Yeah. So what she decides to do is to essentially withdraw to the ocean. Because otherwise it gets surrounded and they're like, well, you know, we're going to be fighting with our backs to the ocean. It's just like, it's better than being surrounded. Yeah, absolutely. So and they fall back. We've also, we've also seen earlier on that Titans will happily go underwater as well. Oh yeah. Haven't we? So we, we've, we've seen that. that if they're able to operate in void and ocean's not too much of a problem. So she picks a point and goes, that's our breakout. 
So who did she send as a spear tip? Because this was a really nice piece of description. Well, doesn't she send a... She sends her friend. Or is it a daughter? No, it's the entirety of House Procon V. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so the knights basically are there as the initial breaking through, aren't they? And it describes this... Like you mentioned earlier in the intro, like when we were talking about the Riders of Rohan, it's like pulling a field. You have this long line of knights, in a, well, they, a chevron of knights, and they all put their iron shields to the front, and they just wade through all this heavy weapons fire and tank fire. They lose knights in the process, because, come on, anyone who's played 30k knows you can take down knights with, oh, yeah. with vehicles and everything. But then they just hit the line, and then they're bursting through it. And it's that point we start to get the feeling that things aren't normal because they mention, don't they, that we give a viewpoint of a baron, of a household. And he's saying, normally we would expect infantry to be responding to this type of attack or moving away from a line to avoid the charge of knights. But these are all standing there. They're just taking the charge. So that's our first clue that things aren't quite right. Then behind House Procon V, we have the remaining titans and at this point they're down to about 30 titans they've lost quite a few to her haven't they to orbital strikes and attacks by the, the heavy armor and there's a wedge of those heading through the ocean yeah and that's when um uh, a couple well a couple I'm, I'm assuming thousands of infantry start like boarding <laughs> start, like using uh using like grappling hooks like luke in emperor strikes back that, yeah, that's exactly the scene I had in my face. Yeah, running alongside behind, alongside and firing up little magma <laughs> caps. And they mentioned that the point defense weapons on the Titans are just wading into these infantry, don't they? They're just scything through them. Yeah, it's like ants taking down like a larger animal. So eventually, yeah. you know, you'll get overwhelmed. So that's what they're, and they're, they're, they're and they, they 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 get on and 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 start realizing, oh man, if they if they kill like the, the tech priests, we're we're fucked. With, um, with, yeah, yeah. And, I, I like how they breach as well. They put melted charges onto yeah. the back door of Reaver because <laughs> if when you look at the model, you can see the actual entrance, can't you? Yeah, on the well, you got to get in and out. Thing. You've got to get in and out, absolutely. So they plant those melted charges. They burst in, don't they? There's yeah. las fire going everywhere. And uh, what do you do? Like you have to control. You have to control the engine. They don't have a warlord. Isn't like an imperator. It doesn't have. A, um, a crew to repel borders. It's not big enough no. to actually have like a, a, a platoon of Skatari or even a squad or even a Skatari. No, it's got servitors, a tech priest, and then a princeps and moderati. Yeah. That's your lot. And when they breach into the head, the first thing they do is roll in a grenade as well. <laughs> yeah, it's which <laughs> takes takes out one of the moderati, and they describe the smell of burnt meat in in the cupula, don't they? It's it's horrible. And then yeah, Esha oh. has to um, pretty much defend herself. So while she's controlling the uh, uh, the the Titan, uh, she's also um, taking her. Well, she has a last pistol. She starts like unloading on 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 the guys that are like getting into the um, in, in in into the to the cockpit. So she kills yeah. one, and then the next one that comes in is is uh, is our boy. It's Bok, and he's going. I'm loyal to the emperor. I'm loyal to the emperor. As he's turning, as he's turning his gun on her. The rest yeah, of the she crew. notices that he's got like some sort of. She she recognized what it is. Yeah. So it's like oh, and of course the, the moderati can't do anything because they're locked in the manifold and they're still firing all the other titan weapons because they're needing to keep 
all the other Thessalian infantry and heavy armor at bay. <laughs> so, so who, who, who comes fight? to the rescue, though? Oh, yeah. It's the engine seer, isn't yeah. it? And how He's does gonna, he do like, it? Yeah, he just, he, 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 he rip, well, yeah, he, uh, he pretty much, uh, he impales him with uh, mechadendrite. Yeah, he does a dock hawk. <laughs> yeah. That's what he does. <laughs> and so after that, it's like, oh, they're using Nero slaves. What, how, how could the enemy debase um, himself so much that he used Nero slaves? Like, you put human brains into your missiles. <laughs> yes. Cool it with the holier than thou attitude, my friend. Yeah. So all the Titan, all the Legio Solaria Titans are in the water. House Procon V and also a couple of Warhound maniples have gone around the flanks and they just roll up the Fasadian infantry, don't they? They basically just the, the the Titans of the Ocean just focus fire on the center, the Warhounds of the Knights working from the flanks. And at the end of the battle, they're basically like, Well, we won, but we lost because we've just destroyed a whole bunch of our own reinforcements. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, this costs cost the, 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 the traders nothing. Yeah, absolutely. But this it costs Solaria. Very cost effective for ten, the Warmaster. Absolutely. Economy of war, something the Iron Warriors would be very, very proud of. Yeah, I'm sure they were impressed by this. Um, but they were probably the ones behind it. Yeah, maybe. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they were the ones behind it. But what I liked about this. So let, let's before we move on to the vault, but let's talk about a couple of things that I particularly we particularly liked about this scene. Is actually showing the threat of infantry to Titans. Because mm-hmm. normally you think, and those of us who have played Epic in the past know that infantry will just die to Titans. There's, there's not much you can do about it. But if those infantry can board the Titan, then the Titan is functionally useless. As soon as those infantry are inside. Unless it's an Imperator, you're absolutely screwed as the crew on board. Yeah, but like so many stands of infantry were destroyed in this battle. Oh, yeah. So many stands. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that, I, 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 I like that. And, and, and yeah, you're right. It shows the threat. It shows, again, the power of the God Engines, but also that they are vulnerable. They can be vulnerable. And, you know, they've lost an entire regiment of heavy infantry. That's easily a huge gain for the loss of 10 enemy titans yeah yeah this you know you you can afford to lose a regiment of infantry they're easily replaced 10 god engines that's not coming back it's the titan death my friend yeah absolutely what it is so that's where we leave solaria let's talk about volpa so yeah uh, so volpa stayed on beta garmin three or five Mm -hmm. yeah sorry Beta Garmin 5. So they stayed on Beta Garmin 5 and they're doing, again, they're fighting um, a Legio that is closer to their own uh, to their own proclivities. They're fighting a yeah. very aggressive Legio. Yeah. Mostly medium Titans. So they mentioned that, now this was an interesting thing, wasn't it? The types of Titans they mentioned. Because they mentioned Reavers, Nighthaunts, and Carnivores. Yeah, what's the Carnivore? We don't know. So that that's, wasn't that's an epic thing. Okay. No, no. I I think that when we have the original eighty eighty eight, the different types of sh- variants with with different weapon loadouts were nicknamed Warlord Carnivores or Warlord Nighthawks. Oh. So I believe it was a certain loadout. But clearly, by the time we've got to eighty eighteen, 
they're now a specific type of Titan, which we've not seen, which they haven't done for the game, sadly. Maybe we'll see them in the future. It would be nice to, because it's not often they name drop units, chassis like this, and we don't see them at some point. Yeah, but, well, you know, there's a reason they're name dropped in the first place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Saturday morning cartoon shows. Buy the next toy. But yeah, so Ataris is the new Loyalist Legion that's coming to replace Solaria, isn't it? And like they mentioned, they are more of a medium end, but they're much more of a battle line legion. Something that will directly take on Volpa in much more open warfare. And so, yeah, so Volpa is engaged in in, in battle with them. Um, they they are outnumbered like Atarus, huh? yeah volpar yeah yeah volpar are yeah. outnumbered here and 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 especially considering that they um in the last engagement uh they stupidly lost two warlords in one engagement yeah so yeah they took uh, they took a beating from uh, solaria and now they're they're heretic and and his uh, well, he's, he's in his maniple and, and a few other maniples they are engaged uh, in at, 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 I don't remember where, like bit of government, uh, like uh... they're on the um, orbital station around a gas planet. Oh, that... so we need to rec- we need to recognize they're fighting in the void. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, cool. the, the, it's the same orbital station that they were fighting. Oh, scenario. I got gotcha, you. Volker gotcha. remained. So they're on. So there's this big gas planet, and then they've got a orbital ring constructed around it because they're they're mining all the get heavy gases and all the materials from that from that gas world. That's that's why there used to be a spaceship construction dock. Obviously it's not constructed anything for quite some time because of the heresy, but strategically you can't afford to let the other side have it because they could use it to rearm, repair, possibly build starships. So it's in a constant state of stalemate, isn't it? Yep, so they've been engaged in, I guess, like, pretty much a war of attrition. Uh, and um, so you have this particular engagement where it's not going well for Volpa. No, it's not. And there's a couple of reasons why it's not going well for Volpa, isn't it? Um, they've got a different seniorist princeps who Hairtech describes as unimaginative. He He's too by the book, isn't he? And, and they describe at one point that clearly the Atara Seniorist Princeps is a high quality because when you're fighting at that scale, you have to coordinate all the Titans. Don't you? Anyone who's played 18 knows the best way to get an engine kill is to target multiple engines onto a single engine. Yeah, you focus fire. Yep. And, 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 and yeah, both princeps- firing their missiles at, at, at a bunch of different targets instead of uh, concentrating them. Yeah. Yeah. The new player's mistake. Let's listen to it. Exactly. Isn't it? It's, it's, it's the classic new player to Titanicus. I'm going to spread my fire across most of the enemy. Yeah, strip enemy. two shields from, from everything instead of concentrating on the one. Yeah. Which is, once again, considering what the purpose of this book was, was to get people into playing AT, you, you can see, can't you? you, know, you we, we there, can see I, I had the same feeling like, that this was like a tactical lesson. For for new yeah. players, it's like don't just concentrate on one engine. Yeah, absolutely. you gotta pop the shields because they're just going to come back up. They have to be popped. Yeah. However, what I 
is clear as well is the dark mechanicum or the true mechanicum depending on your perspective have a plan because in all the volper titans all the senior all the princeps have a countdown timer so clearly it's counting down to something isn't it mm. we don't know what it's not revealed quite what but it is counting down to something so ataris is barreling in volper are trying to keep them at bay and not doing a particularly good job and then they have another problem come to light don't they for both sides which is they get hit by debris and a small meteor shower because there's been so much void war there's been so much engine kill that there's a lot of objects in gravity and as the orbital plate is orbiting it goes through this shower of debris and rubbish and it's hitting all everyone's voids isn't it and it's bringing some void shields down and what Heretech realizes is Ataris have used that as cover to drop some more manifolds of Titans to the flank of Volpa. And he's actually quite impressed by this, yep. isn't he? He, you know, he's very begrudging. He's like, well, they've done a good job here. I I I can ad- I admire them. So he rotates his manifold round to face this new threat. Yeah, and they take a charge. Yes. And Which... this is where we see Volpa at their strength, don't we? Yep. So they uh, and and so they they take a charge. So you 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 have you know the 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 two maniples clashing into each other, and 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 Hartek realizes or Hertek realizes uh, he needs to take over the machine completely. Uh, I, I should say, yeah, like he he he, that's he, he needs to break down. Uh, like he, he needs to stop giving orders and he just needs to let the machine do its thing, like be one yeah. with the machine. Because that's also one for Volper things, isn't it? They they aspire to be close to their engines. So they they want to be part of their engine as much as possible. So he's fighting a it's another enemy warlord, isn't he? And Hertex warlord has got a power fist. Now, anyone who's played AT with a warlord power fist knows one, it's difficult to get that thing into combat, but two, when it does get into combat, that thing hits like a volcano cat. Oh yeah. And during this combat, suddenly he loses control of the manifold, doesn't he? The machine spirit. He fails his command check, and the machine spirit <laughs> takes over. <laughs> well put. I really know how that feels. After the last, the last game I played, I really know how that feels. But what I liked here is it really demonstrates that the machine spirit can take over, and it's got that basic primal urge of what it wants to do, but it hasn't got as much control as when the princeps is in charge. So although Hertex warlord... I've, I've forgotten the name of it. Um, it's uh, um, something Dolores. Yeah, Nuntio Dolores, I yeah. think it is. Um, knows he what it needs to punch the enemy warlord. The Ataris warlord is backing off and keeping it at a distance and just basically firing guns into Hairtex warlord as it's trying to close the distance. And it takes damage. And it's that that shocks for the machine spirit enough the hair tech can resume control. And once you resume control, he closes the distance and rips off the Ataris' warlord's head, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. The classic engine killing close I, I like how they describe the little pathetic little uh, ejection, like, boop. <laughs> yeah. As half the head's ripped off, and then he describes a crew being exposed to the void, doesn't he? Yeah, that's brutal. Um, and so, yeah, uh, so Volpa manages to... Um, uh, to turn the tide, but nonetheless, well, 
how do they turn the tide? Because this is when the countdown gets to zero, isn't it? Yeah, well, they charge. They counter well, they charge. They do. They do counter charge. But even then, it's not looking good. What creates the counter charge is what happens when it reaches zero. The dark mechanicum have primed the sun to give off a massive electromagnetic charge. Yeah. So Heretech tells everybody to you know turn off their uh, well you know turn off their their basically close your eyes. <laughs> yeah. Turn uh, off all the sensors. Close your eyes. And then turn everything back on, and yeah, that's when they they they, they get the jump. And the, the scene they describe after this electromagnetic charge, so basically it's like a haywire going off, isn't it? They describe all the Ataris' titans are kind of reeling. They even describe ships in the void are reeling as well, <laughs> that they're, all of those have gone off. And once Ataris is weakened like this, Volpa just goes in and absolutely smashes them to pieces, doesn't it? Now, interestingly enough, you can actually play this as a narrative mission. Is it one of the uh, one of the missions in Titan Death? Yep. Oh, yeah, I in, noticed that. In, in Titan Death, you can actually play this mission, and it is an absolute bitch to play. Is what I'm going to say. So when that when that effect goes off, when the haywire goes off, it's horrible. So, but yeah, it, it's a it's a fun mission to play, but it's a hard one for the loyalists <laughs> because you have the advantage to start with, and as soon as the burst goes off, it's just like, well, god damn it. But that's the end of a Volpa battle, but it's not the end of Volpa in this part, is it? No, because, uh, again, um, Heretic realizes that he needs to be, once again, he needs to be one with the engine. And perhaps, perhaps the new Mechanicum were, were right. Perhaps, yes. you know, the, 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 he, because in the last part of the book, he was, uh, he got a visit to talk about, uh, <laughs> Do you have a moment to talk about our our Lord Corn, uh, and and, and yeah. you know, he realizes that eh, maybe maybe there's something to it. Yeah, he was just it was one of Sota Knowles' adepts, wasn't it? Yeah. Who is it? Ardim Protos. Protos. Ardim yeah. Protos. Yeah, that's it. Uh, he said, you know, we can make your Titan stronger, better, faster than before, <laughs> but we need to put a Neverborn into it. It'll be fine. Yeah, Ignore what happened on Kalf. Don't worry about Ignore it. Ignore what happened on Kalf. They got it wrong. They were crazy word bearers. They don't understand the machine. I understand the machine. Trust the process. So he gets brought in and eventually decides, well, he has to kind of, pro uh, well, uh, uh, at first it's like uh, Protoss is, is telling him that you need to, you know, you need to get on your knees and, and, and ask politely. And he realizes like, wait a minute, you're the one who's trying to convince me. You need this as much. You chose me for a reason. You need this as much as I do. So stop, stop being a bitch about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so he gets brought into, I, uh, well, gets brought into the ritual. Then he realizes he's not the only one. No, there were so many nice touches to this ritual. Where that the, this final chapter was, I thought, really well put together. Yeah. Those people who know forty k law know all the symbolism around corn. So you know the use of brass and the use of iron you know the significance of number eight you know the significance clearly of blood um and all of that manifests in this ritual chapter but corn's name is only mentioned once and even then when it's mentioned because hair tech mentions it doesn't he and the, the cultists for want of a better word say don't use that name we don't mention that name 
it's one of the I mean, nice touches, um, and and this is throughout the um, the Heresy series. They rarely, if ever, use the gods' names. Yeah, like Nurgle is always the father. Um, it's always talked. Uh, it, 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 and, and we know the power of names, right? But also, I I feel that the hesitancy or or the fact that they don't use the names gives them more. I, I guess it gives you the feeling power. that they don't know what's going on. Uh, it, yeah. it, it creates distance, and and also it 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 kind of. It feels less familiar than if they use like Nurgle or Corn. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you haven't got those preconceptions. Exactly, that's is what it comes down to. I, I think that's that's another way we could look at it. In if you're reading 40k literature, as soon as you see Corn mentioned, you know there's going to be bloodshed and skulls collected, etc. The way this chapter is put together is you could see all the elements of Cornate worship. But they also focus on some of the bits which aren't mentioned so often in 40k, that sense of honor and duty and the way of a warrior. But it's all built up, isn't it? So I also have... really appreciate that the the guy that that runs the uh the, the corny cult is actually Hertek's uh assistant, his adjutant, his adjutant, yes, who, uh, his yes. long-suffering adjutant. It's like, shut up. I've been I have been pushing you towards this for, for a while now. Yeah. You uh, it, it, in, it, in this completely. place, you are beneath me. Yeah, and it also mentions how he's always gives the appearance that he's on the edge of violence, as well. That that's such a cornate thing, isn't it? He just oh, yeah. always appears just on the edge. And as Hairtech is being led down to where the ritual is taking place, there's no one else around. So it's almost as if the whole of rest of the Legio has been part of this cult for some time, but it's not become clear. Now they're finally doing this possession of the titans now it can finally come to the the, the fore as it were and as he's being led down to where the rich is taking place he hears these horns in the background but the, the cultist who's leading him can't hear it and it little things like he hears the horns eight times on his way down to the um the, the ritual location and it's little subtle hints like that that really raise this up so what happens when he gets down there what happens when he finally arrives at the uh, location? Well, he sees eight titans. But before they go into the titans, how do they how do they prepare them all? Oh, well, first they uh, they, they 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 paint them in blood. Yes. Right? They paint uh, they, they cover uh, all the I guess uh, the uh, how do you, uh, the the inductees, if you will. Um, uh, um, you'll have cultists that that will paint sigils all over them in blood. Describes the blood kind of drying very quickly and like tightening the skin very nice little touch there yeah um but it almost it almost has a soporific effect on them doesn't it because at one point yep. he says oh when he opens his eyes he said but he what hadn't realized he'd closed his eyes so he, he thinks he's been poisoned doesn't he he mentions at one point mm -hmm. that he believes he's been poisoned because he's detached from everything it, it's like but he gets a sense like of calm been, right yeah it, it, it's like it, 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 it's like the nails Yes, actually, that's a really good discussion because it is very similar to how the world eaters describe it when the nails bite, isn't it? That they really they reach that sense of calm and peace, but they're not aware of what's happening around them. And that's very similar to how it describes it with Heretech yeah. as well. So he goes in. There's eight warlord titans, including his own. They're taken over and they're basically bound to a post. But it's very Temple of Doom at this stage, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, because you've got you got beating of drums, you've got chanting going on. He can hear the the brass war horns, the chains that are used to bind them to these posts between their warlords' uh, legs 
are made of brass themselves, but covered in soot. So it, it's a very occultist feel, isn't it? For want of a better word, it's a very primitive feel. There's beating of drums going on. He, he says it's very warm, which we always get when it's occultist, isn't it? But what was interesting is on his way down there, he said, oh, is it getting colder? And we have, we've had this description a lot with temperature with never born of a warp, hasn't it? How temperatures drop when never born is summoned or the warp is being used. But now he's in ritual, the temperature is increasing. They also describe these big metal vats, don't they? That are clearly filled with something. He doesn't know what, but he describes the fact that they're very hot. We can assume it's probably molten metal, isn't it, by what happens later in the ritual. Oh, yeah, it's it's nasty. So they go down to the to the place where the ritual will begin, and then... Um... Uh, when the ritual finally, I guess, reaches this crescendo, all the uh, cultists start fighting and killing each other. <laughs> and then... Um, but there's a word bearer there as well, isn't Yeah, there's it? a word bearer there, yeah. It, it, and it's a guy he'd seen before. He's a, he's a dark apostle. Yeah. Yeah. So he kills the initial sacrifices, doesn't he? Yeah. Then another line of cultists is pushed into molten metal. Because there's a giant <laughs> octet on the floor, isn't it? Yeah. There's a giant octave which has been carved into the floor, and there's a warlord at each point of the um, octave. The octave is filled with metal. The first cultists are pushed in, and then once those initial cultists are pushed in, everyone just turns on each other, don't they, with knives? Yeah, this is where it ends. So you get the uh, the well, you know you get the impression that uh, very soon he will become one with his machine. Yeah, well, you, you get the description of something kind of imploding in the air, don't you? Mm. Striking each of the warlords. And as it hits the warlord, Hairtech screams and the warlord screams as well. Just awesome. So, yeah, it, it's Good a very, stuff. very well put together sequence. Because uh, obviously, it's not the first time we've had a description of a rite taking place. I mean, if, if we think about. What's Davin? Um, Davin is a good example. First heretic with yep. um, Argotel when he goes in to rescue the, the bones of... Oh, what's her name? Serene? Oh, yes, Serene. Yeah. So, you know, we've, we've had cult activities described before. I think this is one of the strongest descriptions because we're seeing it through the point of view of Heretic, who doesn't understand anything that's going on. But the way it's written is, like we said earlier, for those people who are a little bit more versed in 40k law, the law for chaos, uh, powers particularly corn, you could pick up on so many little threads of things, can't you? Yeah, but at the same time, it's it's done in a way that it seems um, unknown. It seems occult. I, occult is the word I'm looking for. It seems occult. Yeah. It seems like they don't know what's going on. Um, if you read in 40k, the like a 40k, well, you know, they've been taught. You know, the, the Imperial citizens have been taught their whole lives to fear chaos. They can probably figure out what's going on. Um, but these people in, in this period, they've been literally taught the opposite, that this cannot exist. So they don't know. And and it's written such a way, and this is the success of, of, of this scene and um, similar scenes throughout the series, I think. I think the, the authors generally do a good job of making it feel like something weird and occult that the, that the participant doesn't understand. Yeah. They, they don't know what they've let themselves into until it's too late. It's, it's very Cthulhu-esque, isn't it, in that regard, how it's written? Yeah. It, it's, it's very 
Lovecraftian that you, you do this ritual, but you don't quite understand what this ritual is involving and what the cost of a ritual will actually be long term. So I, I think it's extremely well done. I think it's one of the, the best scenes we've seen in a heresy book for quite some time, I think, considering some of the scenes we've recently read in Titan Death yeah, and Wolf Spain have been pretty good. This one chapter, you know, if you're going to if you're going to say to someone, "This is how a chaos cult runs," you would show them this chapter. So that's part two of Titan Death. Uh, again, uh, a slightly shorter chapter, slightly uh, shorter section. Great. This is just, just a, such a great book. Yeah. Totally I, don't, this I don't know if I, when we get to the series, because we only have one left after this, um, if we uh, have a, a recap where we uh, try to rank them. But this, like I can tell you oh, right now, this is ranking no, pretty freaking high. We're, we're not going to rank them, but we may, we may go through them. our top five. No, we're not ranking them. We, we, no, that, that, that way lays madness and chaos. But I, I think we should certainly I want to do it even more our... now. <laughs> oh, okay. We'll discuss that one. We'll talk about it after Hidden Dagger. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Is it? It's not a hidden dagger, is it? What is it? Buried dagger. Buried you dagger. always do this every time. You always every do time this. I say hidden dagger. It's buried dagger. Okay. Well, anyways, that's gonna be the and next then, one. Then you half convince me it's hidden dagger. Then it's go. No, no, no it's not. Check. It's that's it. It is buried dagger. Okay. But yeah. So, anyways, we're gonna we'll get to buried dagger when we get to buried dagger. Right now, we got to finish Titan Death. Fantastic book. Uh, this was part two, and in the next episode, we will conclude the story, and just have a burning itch to play Titanicus. All right, welcome to Two Week Hobby Challenge, uh, where we talk about uh, some stuff that we've done recently. Not much of a challenge these days. We should probably start challenging ourselves a little bit more. Um, I, I feel that without the omnipresent uh, threat of shame, uh, I don't get as much done. Nonetheless, you always get stuff done. What have you accomplished? Uh, do you know what? Finally, I have. Um, we've had the Easter break over here in the UK. Plus, my shoulder's now at a point where I can actually start hobbying again, and I utilize the time that was available to me. So, I'll be ready. Settle down. It's going to be a bit of a ride, kids. Oh. First of all, I finished off the first part of my Black Legion army. So, I finished off a Master of Possession, a Squad of Legionaries, and a Squad of Possessed. They are now done, ready and playable, ready for 10th edition. I'm holding off for 10th now. This is it. This is the build-up. So, those three units, completely done. I've almost got to a point of finishing cleaning up all my board and actions train as well. Uh, I think I've got about two sprues left to clean up. So once they're all cleaned up, I can then start the undercoating. But board and actions train underway. It's really nice train. If you haven't seen it, go online, have a look at the board and actions train. However, it is a pain in the ass to clean up because there are so many mold lines on it. It's typical GW train. How they can get away with a few mold lines on the latest models, but their terrain is just festooned in it, I don't know. It takes a lot of time to clean up, but I'm getting there. I've also started my iron circle. So I've got all the base metals on the initial chassis and given that the initial non-oil wash. So the iron circle are up and running. And I also started working on some Aeronautica Imperialis Tau Barracudas. So I got the initial camo pattern on the top of the, um, well, base coating them all and done the initial camo pattern on the top of the Tau Barracudas done as well. So it was a very, very successful couple of weeks for me in terms of hobby. 
Um, I, I finally feel I'm getting back on track with hobby as well. So it's nice, nice to be getting on with it. So yeah, that that's my last couple of weeks hobby. We're getting there. JP, well what done. about yourself? Well done. I've painted uh, three models for Don't Look Back, um, which uh, I, I'm hoping to get a, a lot done before I will have no choice but to start painting hundreds more militia um, because oh. I'm just so stoked about that. But uh, so I got um, uh, Damien Blackheart uh, painted. I got uh, another one of the final girls. Damien Blackheart's kind of like, uh, you ever seen Fright Night? Yes. You know, the uh, the vampire hunter kind of character? But it's, yeah, you know, I know one. Fake. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so that kind of character. I got him done. I got one of the final girls done. Uh, and I've got this weird monster that I can't, I don't know what it is. Because usually you can tell like from what movie, I think it might be from a video game. It's a big, giant, fleshy monster with like giant arms and and anyways, painted that guy. Oh, so. is that from Resident Evil? Is it? Do you think? I'll send you a picture. Is it the is, is it the nemesis from Re- from Resident Evil? Oh, it's not the nemesis. I would have. I I I know the nemesis. It might be from a more recent one because it actually comes in the same set as that that vampire lady from a recent Resident Evil. Oh, okay. You know the tall vampire lady. Yeah, yeah. I've never one, played yeah. that one, but anyways, I don't know what it is. It's not the nemesis, unfortunately. They shouldn't make a nemesis. But anyway, so I got uh, got some stuff done for uh, Don't Look Back uh, recently, and and yeah, um, the other thing I started I, I did was start uh, started pulling out uh, some of the Valhallans I have in reserve uh, because I have way too many, um, and uh, started to look at how many I need to paint to get like uh, like to, to fill out because um, I could do three hundred and eighty. Uh, uh, yeah. um, but that would require me, I'm going to have to paint like 200 models, but at the speed I go, I might be, I, that, I might finish I by the say. time that the oceans boil over. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I was going to say though. If you can max out your troops, your troop slots on a modern militia list of a, of a current militia ones. list, <laughs> then you know, you have reached peak militia. <laughs> that's the point. Oh, you know, that's that's, goal, that's motivating. That's the goal to get to. That's that's the goal to get how to, and then you... deploy them all in one game. Yeah. How the hell would I even get that to Adepticon? Anyways, things to figure Korea. out. Yeah, that, that's for fu- <laughs> that, that's for future me to figure out. Uh, but that, yeah, that's uh, a future. <laughs> so I gotta, I'm, I'm gonna keep nagging you. Yeah, I got every episode uh, this year. It's just. Well, by the next episode, I intend to let you know. This is something I want to talk about. Is like how I'm going to adapt my militia army to use the new list because there are some changes that need to be made. For example, can only use like can't use squadrons of Lehman Russes anymore. It's like one lowly Lehman Russ. Like back in second. Oh, it, that is such a good touch, though. I, I really appreciate that touch. It's it's so good. It's just like no, it just makes it feel why, different. Why than why so, okay. Squadron. Next time. Next time. Next yeah. time. That's another. Right. Com- that's another conversation. Uh, so to finish uh, off the show tonight, to end the show, uh, I will play a song by a band called Hormagant. Can you guess what kind of music they make? It's 40, I would 40, imagine it's our usual style. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so um, what do you want to listen to? Either uh, Tomb Kings, the song Tomb Kings, or Carcass Enslaver. I think I'm going to Carcass Enslaver. <sighs> Well, you know, I was going to say Tomb Kings because we've seen okay. a lot of old world news recently and it's looking so exciting. And the announcement we're getting some of the old fantasy plastics back. Really? Hopefully the two. Yes. Have you not seen the news? No, how can you have not seen this news? I haven't Dear seen God, it. God, how have you not seen this news? Right. I'm what not, really, I'm not so on social media anymore. Oh, right. 
Warhammer community put an article, article talking about Old World. And they announced in the article that there are base size changes. So everything, there's no, no longer going to be any 20 mil bases. Everything's going on to at least 25. That means the models have got a lot more space to be put into ranks because anyone who's tried to rank mm -hmm. up models on 20 mil bases knows what a nightmare that is. That's one part. We're not an old world, we're not an old world podcast. We're not going to get into the merits and the joys of rebasing. However, the biggest excitement was they confirmed that some of the old fancy plastic kits are going to be brought back in the they haven't said which ones but as the article was full of bretonians we can assume some of the old bretonian plastic kits coming back and in previous articles we've seen tomb king models so we're inferring we're going to get some of the old tomb king plastics back so i think as a celebration for that we have to play the song tomb king fair enough so i will be playing tomb kings by cormagant from the album in the flesh all right what do we do next episode team flat jacket the militia list yeah, militia. obviously we, we, we we've mentioned it plenty of times we're doing yeah. we're doing that and finishing titanic so, so really, exciting it'll be so much militia so much militia we're, content we're just, i don't know if we're going to do it in one episode or we're going to split it up i i you know we shouldn't be doing like an eight hour episode but so we might split it up either way next we, episode militia for sure let's just record yeah. it right now uh, yeah poss possibly Possibly we may do it as one episode looking at the list and then ep another episode looking at our particular militia armies and how they've changed. Yeah, we'll see, uh, we'll see where we get to. See where we go. See yeah. how much we get covered. Because so. we may need to break the arm list into two parts, depending on how much we're talking. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure that out. Yeah. So uh, next episode, Militia and Titan Death Part 3. This was episode 134. As usual, thanks for listening. <laughs>